Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and sometimes when a camera does an extremely slow 360 pan, I feel like I'm decomposing. Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. I recommend everybody wash their rags, please. <laughs> I had a feeling you'd go there. I had a yep. feeling you'd go there. Uh, so it's just me and Devendra for the first part of the podcast today. <laughs> Uh, because Jeff Kanata, I don't know if you guys have heard, is moving to Denver, Colorado. He's uprooting his entire life. He's moving to Denver. It's a hugely disruptive process to move, and we are wishing him the best. If you have a chance, do send him some good vibes on Twitter or however else you reach out to him generally. But uh, we are we are hoping for the best for Jeff, and uh, we look forward to when he gets set up and can rejoin us yep. back here on the podcast. I, ju- I just saw a post from him on Instagram. Sounds like they're they're set up and they're doing well. Yeah, I know that's it, I saw that uh, as well, and that's very encouraging. But yes, today uh, we are going to actually be reviewing the Green Knight with Alicia Grasso from Screen Rant. That's what those opening little bits were about. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Now, we are going to try something really different today uh, that we, we, I don't think we've done anything like this before. Probably uh, because it takes a ton of work. Yes. Yeah. It's a huge pain in the ass, but. <laughs> or at least for these movies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We both, we both chose incredibly long and sometimes plotting movies. Um, but taking a page out of one of our favorite podcasts. I think you said you like this podcast, The Next Picture Show, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Next Picture Show podcast, awesome podcast, uh, part of the Film Spotting Network. What that podcast does is they review an old movie mm-hmm. and they review a new movie. And like the movies are often connected in some way or not often. Oh. They're, they're definitely connected in some way, right? <laughs> so you just want to one up them, huh? It's like, we're, we're going to do two. We're going to do two movies that may have in some ways inspired our choice for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so our choice for today is The Green Knight uh, and the two movies that we are going to review. So Devendra chose one and I chose one. Uh, and Devendra, what's the movie you chose to review? Today? I chose Excalibur, John Borman's movie, because uh, it kicks ass. I love it. I chose Martin Scorsese's 1988 religious drama, The Last Temptation of Christ. Not as fun. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so what we're going to do is we are going to review Excalibur first, and then we're going to review uh, The Last Temptation of Christ, and then we're going to get into our Green Knight review with Alicia Grasso. Um, I will say that when we bring up each movie, like when we bring up Excalibur, we're going to spoil everything from Excalibur. When we bring up Last Temptation of Christ, we're going to spoil everything from Last Temptation of Christ. You should assume that The Green Knight will have our normal spoiler rules, and we will not spoil The Green Knight in our earlier reviews. So that's kind of the the rules of engagement for today's podcast. Uh, And yeah, but before we get to that, let's mention a couple of quick things. Uh, First of all, I wanted to mention an email we got uh, about the work of M. Night Shyamalan. This comes in from Jasmine, who writes in the slash filmcast.gmail.com. Jasmine writes in, hello, filmcast crew. I realize this is about a week after the podcast about old came out, but I have a newborn. And while I have abundant time to listen to things, not so much uh, in sitting at computers and writing, this has been eating away at me. So I thought I'd write it down, send it for your thoughts. If you care to share them. I used to be a big fan of M night Shyamalan and genuinely was excited about his return to form that stopped when I started seeing an upsetting trend in how he treats people with mental illness in his recent films in each film. Since his comeback, the visit split glass and old, 
The mentally ill are dangerous and to be feared. Mm-hmm. In my immediate... Also, I just want to say, that's also kind of true with Servant, his Apple TV show. Mm. Yeah. In my immediate family, there is more than one paranoid schizophrenic. And yes, living through their psychotic breaks can be scary, but I have never once been in physical danger from them. I don't think it's wrong or bad to explore the anxiety of mental illness in a horror format. Last year's Relic is a great example of this done well. But Shyamalan isn't doing this. They are shorthand, so he doesn't have to justify their quote-unquote spooky behavior with good storytelling. Nothing they do has to make sense. They're just crazy, after all. In Split and Glass, a man's mental illness makes him a literal monster. A one-off wouldn't be as egregious, but this is clearly becoming a pattern. It is upsetting that Shyamalan seems to have found the human suffering of the mentally ill as a lazy crutch to hang horror tropes on. I think I'm surprised this isn't as much in the discourse around these recent films, especially in this time when so much attention is being brought to mental health. Mm-hmm. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work, everyone. End quote. Okay. That, a that was points. a big topic around Split, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we definitely raise objections to the problem as I or one of mm-hmm. several problems as I see it with M. Night Shyamalan's movies and it's a picture of mental illness is using actual mental illnesses yes in his movies right that like it, you know he had he like split was basically based heavily based off of real life disorder mm-hmm. and I think that when people watch a movie like split or when they you know watch I don't know similar movies yeah they might think that maybe this isn't a hundred percent accurate like this isn't a hundred percent accurate depiction of what multiple personalities are i don't think multiple personality disorder gives you special powers right, right but maybe there are components of it that are correct and i am i mostly lean on jazz I, I lean towards jasmine's side in this debate in the sense that i think that uh the way that he depicts mental illness is mostly as, as she puts it, like a plot crutch, like as a way mm-hmm. of like, here's a way I can make people do creepy things without needing to really explain it more. And in doing so, I feel like it potentially carelessly stigmatizes these mental illnesses. For sure. It's, at the same time, here, yeah, yeah. I, I'll go to you, but go uh, let me just finish my thought, which is at the same time, I think that he is trying to do um, what I think many reasonable filmmakers try to do, which is, Maybe he has anxieties or fears around right. getting older or around the mentally right. ill. And he tries to bring it to life in his movies. And we could argue that that is like an unhealthy or damaging thing to do. But I don't think inherently uh, bringing to life your fears mm-hmm. in in the form of a horror movie is inherently, you know, if your fears are nuclear annihilate, like, people, you know, filmmakers have done this since time immemorial. The, right, the problem right. Is making is that people live with mental illness and they're around us and yeah. it's hard to combat negative stereotypes about them. But like you know, filmmakers make movies about nuclear annihilation and about the radiation of atomic fallout and like you know all these things that they have fears and anxieties about, and that's completely fine most of the time. Um, but it's just a sensitive area in this case. Okay, go ahead, Devendra, your thoughts. Uh, no, I, I think you're you're pretty much right. Um, I think it's it's his writing right now. It's pretty much all crutches, which is what I think it's his biggest weakness right now. We talked about that in our review of old. It's the way he defines people by their jobs, right? He mm-hmm, doesn't need to mm-hmm. give character development to people. He can just say, oh, you're you're a cop. 
Therefore, you you could do cop stuff. You right. Know, you're right. an insurance auditor. Therefore, you only think about the value of something uh, for its potential <laughs> right. future. People are defined by their one characteristic or two exactly. characteristics tops. It's lazy right? writing. He is not a great writer. And I think he's getting worse is a thing. Um, it's it's conflicting because, yeah, I, I love him as a visual storyteller. I, I think he can do very – I think he can make incredible stuff. But, yeah, his writing seems to be getting worse, I think. Like, in these crutches, just – they work – to stitch they work as like cinematic shorthand but if you think about them a bit long you know everything starts to feel problematic i think he would be a much stronger filmmaker if he actually found like a partner a writing partner and just like started like bouncing ideas around um i hope he gets there but i think all these complaints are valid yeah i agree i find his work to be like i really liked old but i do find it to be pretty problematic um Mm -hmm. so but we can, you know, this is a true thing, true statement. You can have multiple conflicting feelings about a piece of work. Yep. Um, you can like it and enjoy it and still find it problematic, and that's kind of how I feel about old. Um, but great email, Jasmine. Thanks so much for that. And uh, thanks to all the people who write into slashfilmcast at gmail.com. We try to get to your emails when we can. Uh, okay. Uh, other thing I wanted to mention is just there's been this interesting dialogue around the Suicide Squad, uh, which is a movie that was out in HBO Max this weekend and also in theaters. Uh, the first movie has the biggest box office opening of August of all time, I think. It made like $135 million or so at the box office when it came out in 2016 and eventually made over $300 million. Uh, and it was incredible. Like, just, just amazing performance uh, for a movie that was widely reviled and considered to be a bad film. Uh, and then this movie opened with around $26 million. So way lower but of course in much different circumstances number one it's available on hbo max yeah number two it's happening during what many people are perceiving to be a surge in the delta variant of to the me that's the number one but yeah 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 and th- this is potentially a huge factor um i mean I-, I i talked with scott mendelson about this over the weekend and i think like we we really got a little bit of a head fake with godzilla versus kong godzilla versus kong opened with 50 million dollars despite being available on hbo max and when that happened, I was thinking to myself, oh, this is the return of the good the good times. Like, you know, like movies are going to start making money at the box office again. Uh, and I think that was just like a brief moment in time when like people were optimistic getting yeah, vaccinated. Yeah. And now that time <laughs> might be over. Th- things to- are looking better. You know what? Theaters. I don't, I don't know how many normal theaters you've been to, Dave. Um, they have not really helped themselves. Because all I see are signs saying uh, masks are optional. Don't worry about it. I don't even know why you need to put up signs for that to tell people to be <laughs> reckless in this mm-hmm. time. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That seems like a uh, a wasted effort in a, in a sense. But no, they they have not like done much to actually protect people. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. or or certainly not done much to like. I mean, you know, is a, is a movie theater uh, a place where uh, COVID is highly transmissible? I literally don't know. Like, have there? I don't think there's been that many studies about how transmissible yeah. it is in movie theaters. But we know contained so, space for a prolonged period is bad. True. So that's that's true. my yeah, map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, but Scott Mendelson brought up some great points, too, which is, first of all, the, mo- the first movie was not well liked. Um, it was extremely confused. This movie was extremely confusingly marketed right uh sure, was sure. it a sequel was it a reboot and also the fact that it didn't have will smith uh did hurt it in some people's estimation idris oh, elba is an incredible yeah. actor but will smith can still theoretically open movies 
uh it's been a while but it's possible maybe you know so anyway uh and also like the plot that the movie was selling was like kind of vague from the marketing right <laughs> mm-hmm. so the, the you know it's very possible that in non-covid times the movie would have failed anyway um we don't know i think though that the fact that it made 26 million dollars out of an estimated 30 million dollars that it was going to make and the fact that it was reviewed at over 90% Rotten Tomatoes and the fact that it's a great movie that we're going to talk about next week on the film cast. Yeah. Uh, makes it a success. So I'm grading it on a curve, but I thought it was worth mentioning because it's an interesting story, especially given how successful the first film was. So for sure, for sure. Anyway, just a couple I, I'm very of, yeah. happy. I, I was away for the last week and not oh, really yeah. checking on your, Twitter or anything. How was your vacation and stuff? It was it was good. Driving driving very long distance with a toddler is not fun. But once we got you know, we went to Tybee Island, which is off off of Savannah in Georgia, it's the easternmost point of the state. It was nice to be away and at a beach and certainly um, not around any people amidst all of this insanity. But yeah. It was also nice to miss a lot of this conversation because uh, <laughs> box office stuff, you know, I, I care to a certain degree, like when it when it involves the overall health of the industry. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, comparing performance to a terrible movie that did incredibly well for reasons that seem like voodoo to me, <laughs> like just some there there was some monkey paw curse, you know, that curled. <laughs> um, there, there was one finger in a monkey paw that curled to make that movie successful. And it's probably just all Will Smith. Um, but it's hard to tell. We can't tell any of this stuff. It's all tea leaves that we don't know much about. Yeah, I, I will say, did you see the uh, David Ayer statement about uh, Suicide Squad? I thought this I, was rather interesting. I, I didn't. Please tell me. Educate uh, so David Ayer posted an emotional letter on Twitter about uh, making Suicide Squad. And he, he, he says, quote, I put my life into Suicide Squad. I made something amazing. My cut is intricate and an emotional journey with some bad people who are shit, uh, who are shit on and discarded, a theme that resonates in my soul. The studio cut is not my movie. And my cut is not the 10-week director's cut. It's a fully mature edit by Lee Smith standing on the incredible work by John Gilroy. It's all Stephen Price's brilliant score with not a single radio song in the whole thing. It has traditional character arcs, amazing performances, a solid third act resolution. A handful of people have seen it. If someone says they have seen it, they haven't. Uh, and then he continues, <laughs> should, uh, should be clear by now that I don't have any quit in me, never have, and why should I? Every day breathing is a gift. Uh, I thought my story was going to end in a grave or a cell long ago. So these days I'm living are bonus rounds. I'm so honored and blessed to have a career uh, that I do quit after my kids watch me come home every day after the studio takeover of the edit with my heart torn out. Who would I be to them if I quit? I've never told my side of the story and I never will. Why? Same reason no one will ever know what happened on my submarine. I keep my covenants. I'm old school like that. So I kept my mouth shut and took the tsunami of sometimes shockingly personal criticism. Why? That's what I've done my whole life. Real talk, I'd rather get shot at. I'm so proud of James and excited for the success that's coming. I support WB, and I'm thrilled the franchise is getting the legs it needs. I'm rooting for everyone, the cast, the crew. Every movie's a miracle, and James's brilliant work will be the miracles of miracles. I appreciate your patience. I will no longer speak publicly on this matter. End quote. I have a couple thoughts on this. One is that sure. I think that uh, this whole like fans demanding art and stuff like that like <laughs> you you and i and i think jeff we're all like deeply troubled by that like i don't think fans should be dictating what art gets made and what studios do i, I think people should listen but yeah. i think uh honestly the behavior that some snyder fans exhibit is 
uh, borderline psychotic. Like, mm-hmm. it, when, when I say that, I mean, like, literally, you know, Warner Brothers, this is an actual thing, like, Warner Brothers will tweet out, like, hey, it's um, AAPI month, you know, or uh, stop Asian hate, you know, or Black Lives Matter, you know, or whatever. Right, right. Uh, and then, like, literally 50 responses of uh, release the Snyder Cut or release the air cut. And it's like, you need to under like yes you can you can ask for the air cut you can ask for whatever you want but people aren't going to want to talk about one thing all the time forever and and the the way fans behave in a way that like doesn't seem to evince any understanding of that i think is deeply troubling all that said i think that um that it's probably pretty upsetting what happened to david air <laughs> you know yeah, like yeah, can I, you I imagine would, uh, and i movie- like we, yeah, we've liked a lot of his movies. Like, yes. I'm, not, I'm not on a David Training Day, amazing, here. you know, end of watch, yeah. uh, like, controversial movies in some respects. Harsh, Harsh times. times. I enjoyed. Yeah, Come so, on. So, yeah. but the thing is, like, uh, it, it just, and the thing that he was responding to, I think, is, like, people mm-hmm. made it super personal and, and, and have yeah, made it yeah. super personal. They're like, David Ayer, like, what a fucking terrible filmmaker. And, like, James Gunn is so amazing by comparison. It's like. Uh, you know, David Ayer was done a disservice to, right? Like he yep. he had his name on this movie where and his control was removed from him, right? And he played ball. He was professional, relatively speaking, at the time, right? Like he didn't say he didn't try to speak out against the studio or anything like that. Like, and the movie did really, really well. Um, but I do think it's it's when I read this statement, I'm I'm sad for what happened to David Ayer. Like I'm I'm not angry at David Ayer or anything. I don't think he's a shitty filmmaker or anything like that. I, I'm sad that this happened. Um, and I hope that people will understand that humans make movies and that movies are a business. And sometimes things happen in business that are unsavory and unfortunate and unpleasant. And I think that's something that happened to David Ayer. That mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean I think you should hashtag release the air cut, by the way. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, I, I'm not necessarily asking for that, but for sure. I, I do think it's worth reflecting on. Oh, this was this was a, as we move on, Devinger, to the next chapter of whatever Suicide Squad is. <laughs> I kind of wanted to just take a moment, reflect that. Oh yeah, that that was David Ayer kind of got a raw deal, basically. Certainly got a raw uh, deal. I I would like to know what happened to Bright, though. Mm, like, well, fair enough. <laughs> make, make that movie a yeah. thing. Fair enough, fair enough. But yep. uh, yeah, so uh, uh, what we can do is celebrate the fact that uh, James Gunn got to make a, a good version of the movie, and uh, we'll talk about that much That's more. That's going to be a fun review. Yeah. In a future episode of this podcast. So anyway, a few uh, assorted thoughts on Suicide Squad. Hey, I'm jumping in to tell you about our sponsor, ExpressVPN. Okay, so we all know how a VPN protects your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that it can take your TV watching game to the next level as well? You can use a VPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. That's right. You can use ExpressVPN to binge watch Doctor Who on UK Netflix, for example. It's so simple. You just fire up ExpressVPN, the app, change your location to the UK, refresh Netflix, and that's it. See, ExpressVPN hides your IP address and that you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. So just think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. And if you love anime, use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix and be spirited away. But it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. 
You can do it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason that I use ExpressVPN and have been using ExpressVPN for years before they were ever a sponsor is because it is ridiculously fast. That means you can watch shows ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag, and you can stream in HD, no problem. A lot of VPNs, they just slow down your speed. Not ExpressVPN. Also, ExpressVPN is compatible with all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want on the go or on the big screen wherever you are. And if you visit our special link right now, which is expressvpn.com slash filmcast, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash the word filmcast, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Let's get into our review, Devendra, of Excalibur. A wizard's ancient spell. Into the eyes of the dragon and in despair. And the lust of a lord. I must have her. One night with her. Give birth to an empire. Behold the sword of power, Excalibur. The future has taken root in the present. It is done. Ryan Pictures presents John Borman's Excalibur. That was from the trailer for the 1981 film Excalibur, directed by John Borman. I'll read the plot summary from IMDb. Merlin the Magician helps Arthur Pendragon unite the Britons around the round table of Camelot, even as dark forces conspire to tear it apart. We're going to spoil everything for Excalibur, starting right now. So if you want to skip to our Last Temptation of Christ review or our Green Knight review, check the timestamps in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Devinder Hardwar, uh, you suggested this movie, and it is a classic movie based on Arthurian legend. I'm curious, why does this movie hold such command over your imagination? I think um, certainly before The Green Knight, uh, this was the best exploration of the Arthurian legend uh, on screen. And also, I'll simply say, this movie rules. I love it a lot. I've seen this movie at least a dozen times, I think, um, mainly because I'm a, I'm a huge fan of John Borman. And I love the way he directs. It is a very, like, he's a very maximalist director at times. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen, well like, put, point. Well put. Yeah, that, that's it. Like, he is, but he's like, you know, the stuff that Tony Scott would go on to do. Like, he, this is a <laughs> rock and roll, glam rock, Arthurian legend movie. Um, but go back and watch, like, Point Blank which is a movie that is just like a hardcore, like revenge thriller. It just feels so gritty. Um, Deliverance. Uh, Zardoz, uh, a movie I respect because it is so weird. It's just so weird. (laughs) Like he can be weird. He can be really like hardcore. And this movie just like really brings together a lot of things. Um, I love how sweeping it is. This is such an operatic film in that it's actually using opera music, right? Uh, Throughout. Um, I, I love how big and sweeping it is. And I grew up, I wasn't like a huge King Arthur fan or anything, but I've, I've read about these stories and I'm very interested in stories that define a culture 
in a way, right? And the idea of Arthurian legend, you know, some of the earliest tales uh, from Britain and things that defined Western culture in many ways too, ideas of honor and how all these things work. Um, in many ways, it feels like a religious text for for a lot of Western civilizations. So it, it is also funny we're reviewing this alongside The Last Temptation of Christ because I think there, there there's a lot there. There's yeah. a lot going yeah, there's on. There's a lot of similarities. Um, mm-hmm. So here are my thoughts on this movie. Uh, let me start with what I liked. I mean, first of all, I think this movie is relatively well known as having introduced many Everybody. famous actors. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> in, uh, into the entertainment industry. Uh, specifically, uh, what? Helen Mirren, Liam Neeson. Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne, right? Like, these these are people who, like, this yeah. was either their first movie or one of their first <laughs> movies or their first big movie, but, like, yep. you Patrick know. Stewart's in here. Kieran Hines is in here. Like, uh, Yeah. I Everybody. guess Patrick Stewart was always bald. That was yes. kind of the thing that I, I was yes, like, absolutely. I, I don't think I've ever seen a photo of Patrick Stewart with hair. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, oh, he looks exactly the same. No. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I uh, so it's value to film history and the entertainment industry, like history, entertainment history cannot be understated for that reason alone. Um, it occurs to me that there, there are moments in this movie that are just incredible in scope in, in the visual scope yes yes and and yeah there's just some shots that are just like amazing but also there are shots that i mean this movie wouldn't be made today mm-hmm. or <laughs> if it if it would be made today it would be made much differently like they went out and uh it seems like they they built a lot of these sets they yeah. tore threw, a lot of them down in battle. off of ladders yeah right you know today a lot of it would be done in cg right um also, uh, I and, think it was, it was a lot of it was filmed around like castles that already existed too. Right, uh, right I've, exactly. I've not done a lot of like that research, but it just seems that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was shot like c- completely in uh, in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, is my sense, and uh, and so the scope is amazing. It also is uh, like scope both in terms of visually, but also in terms of the time scale. Uh, I mean, it spans like five decades of time or you know mm-hmm, eight decades mm-hmm. you know some massive quantity of time uh and so uh there's definitely a lot here that i think is worth admiring that said i didn't really love the movie i think that it has a lot of problems <laughs> on I a mean, script it, level it, sure yeah you know and and uh the acting is really really over the top this movie doesn't really have what i would describe as character development right it has characters that show up. They say what their intentions are and what they're going to do. They do those things. Then fast forward one to ten years in time, and then you see them again at a different point in time. Um, and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't love it. I didn't, I didn't love the fact that like it was hard for me to understand who I was supposed to be rooting for, or like who I was even supposed to be literally following. Like the the movie shifts perspectives multiple times throughout the mm-hmm. course of the movie. Like, I'm thinking to myself, oh, this we're going to be following like Arthur this whole time. You right, know? Right, right. It's going to be an Arthur story. And then like at various times, it's like, no, it's actually going to be about Merlin and his relationship with Morgan the Fay or Arthur's son or uh, what's his name? The um, the squire guy, uh, Percival. You know, it's going to be a Percival yes, story. And it's yes. just like, it's just bouncing around to all these different perspectives. And, you know, it's, it's today, very Monty Python, the Holy Grail. 
in that well, way. Well, like, yeah, I am. Yeah. I was completely stunned, Divingra. Yep. When I learned that Monty Python and the Holy Grail was made six years before this movie. Yes. yes. Because it seems like such a direct. This is like, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody coming out after Walk Hard. Basically, yep. it's like, why? Why would that movie come out? Because it seems like such a direct parody of this kind of movie the music the, even the scenes like the very the, the scenes at the castle and talking with the guys at the castle you know scenes feel like they're plucked from this movie and then parodied in Monty by them but of course that movie came up before this one um so anyway mm-hmm. uh, I, I didn't there's many things i admired about it there's like visuals that i'm just like wow like yep i, I don't even remember anything like this has ever been attempted before Th- you this know? is a movie like you have to like, this is me like watching m night Shyamalan movies in many ways like it's not really about the script. In some ways, it's not even really about the way... It's not even about the acting, right? It is about the aesthetic. And this movie has a vibe. Like, th- there's always, like, a bit of a green glow to everything, like, towards the end. Like, they're they're just, like, straight up, like... There's, like, neon lights and, like, har- like really cool, shiny armor and stuff. Like, the vibe of this movie... It's like nothing else I've ever seen. Well, I, even I would today, say, even I would today. say it is wildly inconsistent as well because yes, you have yeah. Nicole Williamson playing Merlin in this movie. <laughs> he seems like he is in a completely different movie. Like he is like <laughs> he he's like slaps. He's almost like slapstick. Like yes, Three Stooges. Like doing you know like something hitting his head. Like you know like it's just like. It's it is bizarre watching him and like everyone uh, you know Sir Patrick Stewart is in like a completely different movie mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. Nicole Williamson is in this movie, uh, and so it, it's just very disorienting from that perspective. Let me ask you this question: Let's talk about like, do you have a favorite scene from this movie or least favorite scene, uh, favorite character, least favorite character? Like, let's 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 start from there. It is, um, I well to to hear what you're saying. I think watching this movie for the first time. It is an experience, right? It is so many things being thrown at you. In many ways, it feels like a Wikipedia entry yes. of Arthurian legend yes. uh, turned into a movie. You know, exactly. and that is—it's yep. crazy. It's, you're going really <laughs> fast. You barely yep. get to know everybody. Um, those perspective shifts, I think, having watched this movie so many times, uh, I'm just really clicking with the vibe of this film. Um, I like the fact that it gives us many different perspectives of this uh, of this. And you still you get character development, right? Like Arthur, it's it's a similar story, right? It is a, the basic sword in the stone story of this like unknown squire pulls the sword, becomes the king. But there is, I, I think it's incredible yeah. the way that that scene plays out. It, it yes. is, yeah, yeah. It is. There are. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous because <laughs> he's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta he, find the sword. sword. I got to find the sword. And then he's like, oh, what about this one here in this rock that we, there was a big <laughs> deal made of it just moments ago. It, it's, it's not like you could accidentally not know that that was right, the right. sword. Right. And then he just pulls it out and it's like, oh, whoops, I didn't mean to do that. And then he like puts it back in and it's super awkward. It, it's, I found it to be hilarious, but I didn't, know, I didn't know if it was intentionally hilarious, you know, like. I was like, is this supposed to be as funny as it is? It is, in fact, you know, this um, this movie yeah. has, I, I think, and certainly the way um, 
It's really the way Nicholas Clay, uh, not Nicholas Clay, but it's really the way like um, Nigel Terry. Are you, are you Nigel, thinking of King Nicole Arthur? Williamson. No, like uh, well, Nigel Terry too. I think Nigel Terry early on, like as young young Arthur, he is. It unbearable. is over the top. It is it so is over the top. His un- portrayal it, of young Arthur. It is yeah. very Luke Skywalker, but like the worst of Luke, Luke Skywalker, like young farmer Luke Skywalker. But but but, uh, but, but, but like yeah. way more bizarre because imagine yes, if he was yes. like a thirty five year old man playing a 20 year old luke skywalker yeah. like and it's, trying uh, to be like really you know uh youthful and out there it's just so weird it, right, it doesn't quite it. work but like what nickel williamson is doing here is very much like this is it's almost like classic hollywood in a way right it is i also feel like this is a movie where everybody's lines seem to be dubbed over right because yes, probably like, it's sh- like everyone is ad yes. almost it feels everyone weird everyone is right? ad so it, it sounds disconnected it sounds weird but it also sounds like I am watching a movie from the 50s in a way like it, there, there's a vibe to it that uh, feels a little classical. It is certainly incongruous today. Like I can't I don't expect uh, somebody who's mainly seen modern movies to really love this movie at first. But I think there's a lot going on here. And to to what's uh, there's just like it is beautifully romantic. I think the Guinevere Lancelot stuff works incredibly well um the uther pendragon early storyline is really just sets up like the like the broader issues of like you know man's ultimate demise um merlin is working so hard for peace and the dude sees this lady once and he's like up oh, i yep let's rip this all up um <laughs> There's yeah, a lot. Yeah. I love Helen Mirren as Morgana too because she reminds yeah, she's, me. She's awesome. Yeah, she is fantastic. Um, also, we get to see her very, very young, which I think most people have not seen. Um, but like, yeah, she is fantastic here. But I think she has a definite point. Like, she Merlin sucks. Merlin is like this dude who came and like helped uh, Uther Pendragon rape her mom, steal her mom's son. Yeah, you know. Like Merlin sucks, and then Merlin promises to train her. It is very much uh, what's her face from Crouching Tiger, the older woman, it is very much like the the master refusing to train this woman because he does not quite believe her. Uh, their whole first interaction is uh, is Merlin just gatekeeping Morgana. It's like, what what's that herb? What's this over here? Do you yeah. know what this is? I bet you've never heard of this story. Um, <laughs> I wish is... the movie had more of a perspective on it. You know what I mean yeah, by yeah, that yeah. is like because that's horrible. It's horrible what Uther Pendragon does. Like you said, you described the the plot of the movie, and uh, and then what Merlin does. Like they they are terrible people, but at the end of the day, Arthur is still uh, you know is able to get peace. I guess Arthur is is relatively He's blameless. He is right? different than blameless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but. Yeah, uh, maybe it. Maybe the fact that they depicted it at all as horribly as they did, and like Gabriel yep. Byrne comes off as very unreasonable. Like that is the deconstruction potential. It, right? that, that's it. Like it, it is giving you the text. It is not like outright saying certain things, but I think like this movie, there's so much going on. I don't know if they could sit back and deconstruct, but looking at this alongside the Green Knight, I think there are so many similarities. I mean, the plot. When it comes to, there's like 10x yes. amount of plot in this movie than the 10x Green Knight, the amount right? of plot, but also the basic idea of like. What makes a man? How do you, you know, how do you form your own legend in a sense too? Yeah. Like there, there, there's a lot of like themes that come back, and also, um, hey, Morga- Morgana, also uh, Morgan Le Fay, once again gives her son some uh, warrior-proof armor. 
you know, mm. like some kill proof armor. Like they're, they're very similar things going yeah. on here. So, uh, so I asked the question, I, I put you on the spot a little bit about like mm-hmm. favorite scene, least favorite scene. I, I, I'll give mine, you know, no, no need to give yours if you, if you don't, if you can't come up with one right I now. Would, off the top all of my favorite scenes are the ones where Carmina Burana, Burana is playing. Mm. No, that's like fair just enough. When, when it gets full on opera, Mm-hmm. And it is like mm-hmm. there. There's a shot towards the end where it's like Car- Carmina Burana is blasting. The camera is on the horse. Pedals are falling. And it is just like the most epic shit. You yeah. like until we got Lord of the Rings fantasy movie. We we had Willow. We had <laughs> Willow after this movie, but fantasy movies had nothing mm-hmm. for a long, long time until we got Lord of the Rings. Uh, my favorite scene, honestly, like I thought the Mordred stuff was pretty cool. Like Morgana's. Mm-hmm. Son, when Mordred shows up, that guy is creepy as fuck. Terrifying. Like with yes. the the gold thing at the end, and he Mordred, you know, more more uh, Morgan's child is Mordred. He comes to like gain revenge on on Merlin and and Arthur at the mm. end. And yep. uh, I thought that stuff was all pretty cool. Like all that stuff with him at the end and going into battle in the fog and stuff like that. The the armor, by the way, is like hilarious. Like every scene with the armor in it, <laughs> people wearing armor, they look incredibly uncomfortable and like oh, yeah. very like they're moving with great difficulty. Um, probably because they are. Because because it's it's I also think like this movie kind of got the it took a lot of the luster out of the way medieval fantasy used to be per- portrayed on screen too. Like the the early stuff with uh with uh, Patrick Stewart, it's just like he is, he's trying to be very heroic, but he could barely move. You know, the choreography <laughs> for this action is not super like. It's rough. It's it rough, it yeah. is very rough stuff, but I, I think there's still like a lot of cool stuff here. Like the, I love the first, uh, the scene where like Arthur talks with Merlin and like the very first thing, like right after he pulls the stone, he has to go save Patrick Stewart's castle. That is a whole like protracted like battle sequence that I think is done really well. Mm-hmm. And looks still looks really cool because it's it's all practical effects, and they had to do Speaking a lot of, of practical, things. Real. I love when they go yeah. to like to like Merlin's lair underground, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, ooh, that's like, it's been a long time since we've seen a set that looks like that. You know, mm-hmm. it, it just it looks like the um, Superman's uh, Fortress of Solitude kind of with all those like Very crystals much, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, least favorite scene for me, Devendra, is you know one of my least favorite scenes in modern mo- modern TV shows and films is the scene in the superhero thing where it's like, some people call me the Martian Manhunter, or <laughs> they call me the Scarlet Witch, or, you know, whatever bullshit. Like, right, right. Because what the, what the people want you to ha- have a reaction is, oh, I recognize that from when I read it in the comics. And I just think it's lazy, and it rips me out of the reality of the show or the film. And they were literally doing, doing that in 1981 <laughs> with... Um, John Borman's Excalibur in the most painful way possible when <laughs> they, they've just won the battle and they're standing in a circle on the beach. And he's like, let's never forget when we were standing in the circle. In fact, I'm going to construct a table shaped like how we're standing right now. We shall be the Knights of the round table. And I was just like, Oh my God, like this is so terrible. It's uh, um, I mean, it's over the top. I would not say terrible. I would. I, I don't know. It's uh, to each their own. This is a movie I also know um, a lot of a lot of like directors love too because what Borman does here, the aesthetics of this movie, yes. are just are just fantastic. You cannot argue mm-hmm. with how amazing some of the sequences and some of the production design looks. It, it and it's 
It, I, I do not at all regret us watching this movie because I'm glad. Just, I'm glad I finally convinced you guys to review this very long movie that not many people will probably like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but uh, no, I know I appreciate the opportunity to like check it out and learn more about Great. Um, the history of movies that are in legends. So, uh, and I also asked like favorite character, least favorite character, uh, as just a random question, and I'm just gonna say. Uh, I just love what Nicole Williams, Nicole Williamson was doing as Merlin. Like he's just so ridiculous and over the top. Yep. Um, Gabriel Burns performance is great, but he, his Uther <laughs> Pendragon is so reprehensible, right? <laughs> I must have her. Yeah. yeah he's just yep. so awful. I hated he, that guy. He, yeah. he sucks. But you know what? When it, when it comes to people coming out and saying who they are, that almost sounds like something people wanted with the green Knight. <laughs> mm. I'm just going to leave mm. that breadcrumb there. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit so anyway uh anything else about excalibur before we move on to our next movie devendra i think at the very least this movie deserves like a full-on remaster because there is an hd version of this movie but it's it's very grainy uh the soundtrack isn't good i actually Mm -hmm. bought i blind bought the blu-ray for this devendra great great and uh i actually think it looks good you know the reason i I blind bought the blu-ray because i was uh, thinking of buying this on itunes Mm -hmm. and i was looking at the itunes preview and the itunes preview looked like garbage i was like itunes trailers usually look bad Um, yeah i was like this looks terrible and then i looked at the looked up the blu-ray review and it's like oh this looks pretty good and i actually think the blu-ray is a solid uh transfer is it a better transfer i own the blu-ray but i don't have uh, all my Blu-ray stuff set up now, so I ended up watching the iTunes version. But I, I have watched the Blu-ray version before. It, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty good. It's pretty. It's good. It's not good bad. But it's this movie. I think this movie <laughs> deserves like what they did to like Apocalypse Now or mm. something, right? Like this movie. It is the Blu-ray looks nice, but um, I, I can imagine it looking like maybe it's just a just a little sharper. Don't remove the grain, but maybe give a give us something that. Uh, is uh is worth this movie stature i will say i was very happy to watch this on my uh projector so maybe the flaws of the transfer also came out more um but seeing this movie at like 120 inches was quite the experience and uh, i still have not seen it in theaters but this felt close all right well those are our thoughts on john borman's excalibur hey it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsorship station now we all have passions in life Things that motivate us, that get us going. I have been lucky enough to do a lot of my passions for a living. I have a passion for storytelling. I'm so excited to be able to be the dungeon master for the dungeon run. To create a story with the players. To improvise our storytelling. Ah, oh, man, I, I have a passion for that. I will, I will stay up all night long working on the story of the dungeon run, figuring out the details of the plot. But I'll tell you what, (laughs) do I have a passion for logistics and order management when it comes to fulfilling the orders of folks that are, for example, buying merch from us? No, I'm not so passionate about that stuff. I love that they're buying it, but I do not enjoy fulfilling orders. That's why there's ShipStation. They make it easy to manage your orders and get your products out the door so you can get back to doing what you really love, growing your business, the thing you're passionate about. ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You can import orders from any sales channel, ship with any carrier using ShipStation's deeply discounted rates, and automate just about any shipping task. It's no wonder that over 100,000 online sellers choose ShipStation. 
No matter what you sell or how you sell it, Shopify, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation funnels all of your orders into one simple interface that you can manage from anywhere, even your cell phone. Wow. You'll even get access to amazing discounts with major carriers, including UPS, FedEx, and U.S. Postal Service. Easily compare carriers and choose the best solution every time. With ShipStation, small businesses can now access the same rates usually reserved for Fortune 500 companies without the contracts or commitments. So, if you want to ship more in less time for a lot less money, use our promo code FILMCAST, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free shipping. Just go to ShipStation.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the page and type in FILMCAST. That's ShipStation, S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N.com and the promo code F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Make ship happen. Let's move on to our review of The Last Temptation of Christ. Who are you? I'm the angel who called you. Your father is the God of mercy, not punishment. He saw you and said, aren't you his guardian angel? We'll go down and save him. He suffered enough. Remember when he told Abraham to sacrifice his son? Abraham was just about to kill the boy with his knife when God stopped him. So if he saved Abraham's son, don't you think he'd want to save his own? He's tested you and he's happy with you. He doesn't want your blood. He said, let him die in a dream, but let him live his life. All the pain, that was real. Yes, but there won't be any more. You've done enough. Last Temptation of Christ, the 1988 movie directed by Martin Scorsese, based off of the novel by Nikos Kazantzakis. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. The life of Jesus Christ, his journey through life as he faces the struggles all humans do, and his final temptation on the cross. Devinger, this is my first time watching this movie. Same. I grew up in a conservative Christian church. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, that's also, I, I don't know if our listeners know this, but that's when I, when I first met you, Dave, like you were a conservative Christian guy, you know? Yeah, and uh, it, it is also, yeah, it, it, you have changed so much, Dave. You're, <laughs> you're not that same guy anymore. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I, first I have to say, like, the fact that Martin Scorsese made this movie yes. is incredible. Like, mm-hmm. It feels like a movie that shouldn't exist in so many ways. Yeah. Well, because I think he was in his 40s at the time and Mm -hmm. he had to know this was going to piss a lot of people. (laughs) And I remember when I was growing up in church, like I would hear rumors about the last, I never watched it, but I heard rumors about like how it was like this horrible depiction, like desecration, Mm -hmm. blasphemous depiction of Jesus Christ. Because that's why you'd make a three, nearly three hour movie about about him to desecrate it i guess uh yeah well then so then i watched the movie and i'm like i i have so many reactions first mm-hmm. oh well, I'll, I'll just share a few i'll just share three reactions number yes. one um i think uh, i mean overall the movie is incredible in my opinion like I, I i love this movie i think that uh i i am 
the the plot of the movie, I actually think, is extremely close to the actual quote unquote plot of the Gospels. Even even what? though the the opening crawl is like, uh, th- it's not based on not, the Gospels. Yeah, it's not and, based and, on the Gospels. I mean, it takes multiple liberties, so it's yes. not like it's exactly a transcription or anything like that. You know, there are some really huge departures. Uh, I'll just list a couple. One is. Uh, at the beginning of this movie, Jesus Christ is building crosses for the Romans. Like that mm-hmm. definitely was not in the Bible. You know, like they put that in there to like mm-hmm. give him character development or whatever. And, and it's uh, like mm. that's some poetic imagery yes. in, a, in a way. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then he's uh, a carpenter's son. What do you expect? Yeah. Right. I, I, you know, maybe I, I think he's generally been depicted as like building tables and shit like that. But like, right, right. And uh, also, uh, like the Mary Magdalene thing, you know, uh, I don't think she's explicitly a prostitute in the Gospels. And um uh Judas Iscariot his relationship with Judas is like not depicted in nearly it's the same way as it is in this film. Yeah, it's like yeah. they're very very close in this movie and that's not, we don't get that from the gospels. Uh it's not to say that he didn't have a good relationship with him but like it's very very mm-hmm. different. And so there's many differences but like overall the spirit of and lowercase s spirit of the Bible and Jesus' story I feel is captured extremely well in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um and the controversial parts of this movie, I feel like, are there for a purpose, right? Like, yep, they, they yep. serve the purpose of depicting what it was like for Jesus to fight the urge to be human, right? Like, it, it, rather, the, the way, mm-hmm. the thing that this movie does that's so special is, rather than depict, you know, Jesus as, like, God just become a man. Like, God right. is just like, he's, he's God, perfect, he he's perfect, he loves right. everything about it. He's perfect, it. Yeah. he's amazing, yeah. and then he becomes man. This movie depicts it as, what if a dude suddenly discovered that he was chosen by God right. to be Jesus? The ultimate superhero origin story. Yeah. Right, exactly. And uh, and how wh- how might he feel about that? How might he be torn about that? How might that mm-hmm. uh, be something that he might not want to do because of all the, the sacrifices. It'll involves. affect his relationships and his view on life and everything. Yeah. Right. His ability to ha- to lead a normal life, right, is is completely changed. Um, it also reminded me of the Amazon original series Undone, if you've seen that, that show. I uh, love Undone, yes. And, and one of the observations brought up in Undone was how, you know, hundreds of years ago, people that could speak to God were revered and mm-hmm. seen as like shaman and and respected in communities and so on and so forth. And many times those pe- those same people, we, we throw those people in insane asylums today. And I, I, you know, I don't have any real strong perspective <laughs> on whether or not we should or not. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that that's, it struck me as a very uh, accurate description of, of how we treat people like that. And, and, and in fact, like, you know, back then, if you said you could speak to God, uh, people might follow you. They still do that today, just less often. Right. Uh, and so I thought that the way that this movie depicted that dynamic was really fascinating, but ultimately I think just like, uh, Willem Dafoe is incredible in this movie and Harvey Keitel is not, he's terrible. I thought he ripped (laughs) me out of this movie. He did not change anything about his voice. Yeah. He has his, like, he has the same accent and he has this horrible wig. (laughs) Like it just looks it's, uh, so it's bad. Awful. It looks so yeah. bad. Okay. But at the end of the day, what this movie did is it depicts Jesus as human and struggling mm-hmm. with all the things a human man would struggle with and the temptations and the challenges that a human man would struggle with. And I found it incredibly compelling. But Davindra, 
I think you might have slightly different thoughts than me. What did you think of The Last Temptation of Christ? Well, you know what? Uh, I'm very glad I saw this movie because it's something it's been on my list for a while. Uh, I want to see like everything by the great directors as much as as much as I can. I don't know if I'll ever be revisiting this movie Mm -hmm. because just watching it, um, I did not grow up in a Christian environment. I don't have the background right, i the guess whole time for i'm thinking to myself like does this make any sense yeah, if you yeah. don't know these yeah. this is again I mean, this is kind I of know, like the green knight in that way it's like yes. I, I think if you don't have some familiarity it's going to be hard to grasp the significance of some of these scenes i i mean and we'll we'll talk about that in our review of the green knight but i do think this movie definitely leans on you knowing most of that stuff and hey i know i know a lot of this uh, cultural osmosis and the overall like uh dominance of christianity means i know <laughs> right, you, yes. all of this actually yes. <laughs> but the uh the importance of it or the like um i don't know like the the early struggle just didn't seem super compelling to me and the movie just also goes all over the place too because it's mm-hmm. like you start with him as a crossmaker. Harvey Keitel comes in. He goes in and like kills some people. Um, it, <laughs> I, I think it takes a while for this movie to like coalesce into what it actually is, which is basically the last hour. And well, that is all, what it, all three yeah. movies we're discussing today: uh, Excalibur, yes. Last Temptation of Christ, and Green Knight are all really episodic. Yes. Right? Like it, it just is like, oh, th- then he encounters this person. Then he encounters this person. Like that's literally all it could mm-hmm. be described. Like most of the movies could be described as that. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, that is to these films' detriment, in my opinion. Like mm-hmm. the movie doesn't explain, you know, the significance of what who John the Baptist is, like, and you know things like that you know and i think as a result if you don't know all that stuff it can be very confusing as to why you're supposed to give a crap right right, right. It, it is assuming you're bringing in a lot of knowledge which i i don't think i don't think excalibur <laughs> necessarily does that like excalibur almost tells you too much in certain times like yeah it's uh that movie can be confusing if you have not followed arthurian legend much but it's still like uh comprehensible i feel like this one just took me a while to like really vibe with because it also feels unlike any Scorsese movie I've seen too, like just the, the way it's cut together. Uh, I think it has a Peter yeah, Gabriel there's, there's score. Very few, there's very few like modern camera moves right. in this, in this movie. Um, there's a few like kind of push-ins dollying in and maybe like one or two whip pans, which is mm-hmm. like the lowest number of whip pans in any Martin Scorsese movie. I think it has a score by, is it Peter Gabriel? It's Peter Gabriel too, which I did not appreciate. Really? The, the, you did not yeah. like it? Didn't I, like I, it. Okay. No, not, it worked, not quite. It worked for me. It worked for me, yeah. The, and there, it was there, nominated for a Golden Globe, uh, or received a Golden Globe at the time, right. um, and and it was uh, won a Grammy for Best New Age Album in 1990. It so. definitely, maybe it's the new aginess of it. Like, yeah. I, I don't think uh, that whole genre has uh, <laughs> survived very well. But yeah, there, there's a lot about this movie that just didn't quite work for me. But I'll say, Willem Dafoe is incredible here yeah. like seeing him he's so tortured too. you know he's yeah. so conflicted and i think that's exactly what what they were going for mm-hmm. for this film yeah go ahead i, I think i think like i, I kind of got into that vibe of it like it's very much like um all these movies we're talking about are often are about heroes who in many ways reject their call uh, excalibur like arthur kind of knows his thing but even then he has his doubts at times yes um sure. but the green knight is also about this and looking at jesus through that lens i think is really interesting um certainly like seeing him as just like a normal person who has been you know had this burden placed on him 
I, I think that's fascinating. That is just dramatically really interesting. In the last hour of this movie, where you get that flash forward into uh, basically him on the cross and getting a chance to live a normal life, I thought was really interest- interesting because um, I've never heard of Jesus depicted like that ever at all. I believe that was the, uh, this book came out in the 50s, right? Like this book was much older than the movie even. Well, yeah, and, and that's yeah. why it's so controversial ultimately is you see yeah. Jesus having sex in the movie, right? Yeah. Which is yeah. definitely does not comport with the vision <laughs> that many people have. But that, that's my, my that, that is my question, Devinker, mm-hmm. is yes, I can understand if literally the first <laughs> one hour and 50 minutes or one two hours and 10 minutes of this movie was a slog. Yeah. But did the ending work for you? Like, I think did, the ending did it worked. Make, yeah. make sense? Because... Because to me, the ending of this movie is so incredible, right? Mm-hmm. You see Jesus, he's hanging on the cross, and this this little girl appears, and she's mm-hmm. like, "Hey, I'm I'm God's guardian angel. I'm sent to get you off this thing. Like, you've you've suffered enough. Like, you don't need to do this anymore." And then you see Jesus like live an entire normal life. Uh, Mary Magdalene dies. Don't know why they, why they killed her <laughs> off in the story, but you know, like he then has like. Two, I think he. Uh, I'm, I'm very confused by that because, like, uh, yeah, now the uh, the uh, the other lady the other is now Mary. Like, I think Mary and it's another Mary, right? It's, it's Mary and Martha, Mary. I think. Yeah. yeah. So it's confusing, and it's like, why, you know, why did they need to kill off Mary Magdalene if they, you know, you could have made the same point without killing? Them? Anyway, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so then he lives a whole life. He has kids, and he sees like how people talk about Jesus, and even sees uh, the. Apostle Paul talk about him, and he's like, "Wait, no, that didn't happen. I came up yeah. and 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 gets to see a vision of like what it would be like if he was a human." Mm-hmm. And you know, it's an amazing. T- it's the original M Night Shyamalan <laughs> twist, Devendra, the 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 OG Shyamalan twist, which is it wasn't a guardian angel all along. It was actually Satan tempting Jesus mm-hmm. to not be human, to not fulfill God's mission for him, and. I, you know, I, I'm going to be honest, like, I, <laughs> it still worked for me. I was like, oh my God. Like, you know, I knew that when he went to the desert and got the temptations, like, I knew that was, that was Satan. Like, I knew, you know, I was like, oh yeah, that's Satan tempting mm-hmm. him. But I didn't Does know the that the little that? girl. I don't, I don't know if uh, I gathered that part. Sure, from the, fair enough. From the early part, yeah. But I, I, I was like, I didn't know that that was going to be Satan. I thought that could, uh-huh. was just going to be like some kind of. <laughs> Satan strikes Jesus. again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Satan strikes I didn't know. I thought that was going to be like a Jesus fever dream or something like uh-huh, that. Uh-huh. But it was actually Satan. It was, it was Satan all along. Um, <laughs> and uh, I guess I'm curious, like, how did that, were you surprised at that? And, were, you know, how did that revelation hit you? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was surprising. It didn't like knock me off my feet or anything. I was like, oh, that's, uh, that's interesting. But I, here's the thing. I've heard about this ending before. Like not the, not, I actually didn't hear about the Satan part before, but I've heard like, (laughs) this is a movie that depicts Jesus's, you know, life as a human and what that would be like. And I've always found that idea interesting. Um, so I guess like over time, like over the years, I've just like come up with this conclusion of like, oh, this it would be really interesting if he had this moment before he ultimately sacrificed himself to like really understand the level of his sacrifice. And I like that this movie actually explored that, you know, like yeah. that it, it feels it feels like a genuine human drama uh, that's been carved out of this uh, myth, uh, you know, the story that is thousands of years old you know right. that entire that really uh, religion is based around that people devote their lives to um i find that all really fascinating and yeah it is funny to see um to hear about the criticism of this movie at the time because it's like 
if anything, I think this is a this is actually a really interesting way to humanize Jesus and maybe make more people interested in, in his ideas and the things he's been saying. It actually grapples with yeah. the idea of God becoming a man or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it actually tackles it on a very serious level. It, 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 when I watch this movie, and I, 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 the, the perspective I have is here's somebody who read the Bible and took the ideas from the Bible seriously mm-hmm. and tried to grapple with it in movie form, tried to depict the conflict, the ambivalence, the struggle, the agony of what it must have been like to, to deal with this challenge. Um, and I see it as a very admirable feat. And, you know, not the only time Martin Scorsese has done this. You know, if you've seen Silence, very underrated movie. Not enough people talk about that movie, I think. Um, I think that was that was very good. And I think we we, we reviewed Silence, too. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't actually think much of that movie at the time because it felt like it ended at a point that seemed I, I, it felt really blunt in terms of what it was saying. But mm-hmm. I'd actually like to revisit it now. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Just because, um, yeah, it's certainly fitting. But I uh, I, I just feel like this movie, I understand why people are pissed. You know, like, they don't like seeing Jesus having sex. They don't like thinking of Jesus with a boner. But, like, this is a movie that actually takes seriously the ideas presented in the Bible. And I think it's very admirable as a result. And I also want to just say that the final shot of this movie is incredible, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus goes through his entire life and he realizes, wait, no, I want to be the Messiah, right? Mm -hmm. I want to be... Uh, I, I like. I want to take on the the cup of suffering that that God has passed to me, and he he kind of runs out and he starts begging. He's begging God, like, please give me the opportunity to not do this, to to not live this life that I lived. And then, bloop! All of a sudden, he's back on the cross, and that look on William Defoe's face is so incredible. It's like mm-hmm. this look of. Mm-hmm relief and excitement almost right like that he's hanging there like getting slowly tortured to death yeah it's amazing and he's like he says like it is a like he's just so joyous at the end at the same time that he's undergoing this horrifying agony it's it's incredible it is an amazing moment in in all of cinema i'm never gonna Mm -hmm. forget watching this movie Mm -hmm. so anyway i i really loved it i'm sorry it didn't quite work for you and I completely understand why it didn't, you know, like it it is much longer than Excalibur, you know, like (laughs) even if that movie doesn't work for you, like I think like that, that movie has like interspersed moments of like intrigue and interest. And I Mm -hmm. think this one just takes a while to get going. But hey, I'm glad I watched it. I'm certainly glad. I I also thought the the Judas stuff was really interesting, too. Like the idea of like what this movie posits is Jesus told Judas to betray him. Right. And that he could only ask a close friend to do that. Um, of course, you know, in the Bible, when Jesus, when Judas portrays him, he like hangs himself because he's so tortured by it. But, and, and it was, it's such a horrifying violation that we literally use the name Judas to this day, thousands of years later to indicate somebody who has betrayed someone. But, uh, I, I thought the way it evolved their whole relationship was really interesting. Oh, and final shout out, Andre Gregory plays apostle John. (laughs) And mm-hmm. this is probably one of the most accurate depictions of Apostle John I've ever seen. We're like, it would be really freaking weird, right? Apostle John would be really freaking weird. He's out there in the middle of nowhere, like baptizing people, speaking in tongues, you know, right. like 
And I was just like, this is, this is incredible. Like, I felt like I was seeing the Bible depicted as it actually would have been, <laughs> as opposed to like an idealized version of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen like other Jesus movies. Like I've seen, there was a movie called Jesus that was like, you know, he's like very kind of gentle and, you know, like, uh, uh, very calm and, and passionless is how I would describe mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and then there's a uh, like passion of the Christ, which is just Jesus getting tortured, you know? Um, how, yeah, how does this, uh, relate to green Knight for you, by the way? Cause I, I brought up the idea of like refusing the call in certain ways, or at least, yeah. I, I th- for me, it is all about reputation, right? Like, I love right. that conversation. Is it with John, the apostle, at the end? Like, where it, the co- the talk is basically like, it doesn't matter. I think it's know. with Judas. He's talking okay. with Judas at the end. Okay, I can well, understand why you don't recognize him because all his wigs are terrible in this. Movie, not not yeah. even Judas. It's uh, it's when he is uh, he has kids. Oh, oh yeah, he's, like uh, middle age. Uh, the apostle Paul at the end. Paul. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, they have that conversation. Like Paul's out there in the square talking about the legend. And ultimately, that's what matters in a yeah. way. Like, I, I think that is also the turning point where Jesus realizes, like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's actually this is the whole point of me suffering and doing all this stuff. So I really appreciate that. And to me, that is also like um, very much like the Green Knight. Well, as the, we'll the talk thing about. about the Green Knight that is most inspired from this movie is literally the last temptation for of sure, christ for but sure. i'm not we, we can't get into it right now but um we will get yep. into it in our review of the green knight but yeah it, it's really the the final 30 minutes of this movie i think relate very strongly to the green knight and uh it's very different stylistically but it's very similar thematically mm-hmm. and uh and so uh, i i think uh th- that's where the connection is for me but also what you said like this idea of uh, of taking on the mantle of being a legend right mm-hmm. or being like being the the person you were supposed to be right what is that look like and these are themes very much both in this movie and the green net as well so that is our review of the last temptation of christ Demetri, let's do some weekly plugs real quick sure we're gonna do weekly plugs Weekly plugs, the part of the show each week where we plug something we have created or uh, that someone else has created that we enjoy. Usually the first, though. Uh, I'll just plug this video I made on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chensky. Had a chance to interview the writer, director, and editor of The Paper Tigers, a movie that we reviewed on the Slash Filmcast. Nice, yeah. After Dark uh, a couple months ago. And they broke down the opening credits of the movie. They did a little commentary of the opening credits. Uh, and I don't know if you remember, but the opening credits of that movie are awesome. Like it's a really mm-hmm. well done montage, and they we uh, watched it together and they talked about their inspirations and how they put it together. Um, that is on my YouTube channel at YouTube.com/slash/DaveChensky. And the Paper Tigers is available right now on Netflix. If you want to watch it, now is a great time to check it out. But yeah, check, check out, out my YouTube channel and the Paper Tigers available in streaming on Netflix, also Blu-ray and video on demand. That's my weekly plug. Dive in your heart or hit us with your weekly plug. I didn't create anything in the last week, and it feels pretty good. You know, awesome. I, I was just on the beach. But uh, while I was on the beach, I was reading a lot of things about 
how doomed we are <laughs> as a as a society. And mm-hmm. uh, this week, the latest IPCC report also came out saying like, uh, yeah, actually, a lot a lot of the major effects of climate change are going to happen faster than we think, and we we kind of have to shape up and do things about it i just want to shout out a podcast i've really been enjoying called how to save your planet um yeah the new alex bloomberg joint right yes with him and dr ayana elizabeth johnson uh it is a great show it's on gimlet media it's a great show about basically the climate crisis and what we're doing and i want to highlight one particular episode called is your carbon footprint bs um because i I think it it is a mindset a lot of us are going to have to deal with soon um I grew up hearing about things like, hey, we, sh- we should all recycle. You know, we should all do our part to uh, to save the planet. And the reality of it, as we're coming to it now, is that uh, uh, no, actually, like you could do that. It won't save the planet. It will. It's nice. It's nice to clean things up. But uh, they, there's been a lot of reporting about how like. The whole idea of recycling plastic it, it is a is myth literally bullshit. perpetrated by yes. you know the the plastics and oil companies basically it's yeah. it's, it's it's nefarious like it is yes it, it, yeah it's diabolical because like it makes people did. think they're being virtuous basically. and that's what I grew right. up on that's what we all yeah. grew up on like separating yeah. plastics and everything anyway go listen to this episode is your carbon footprint BS they kind of have a good exploration of what your individual carbon footprint means um, you know. I, I don't think the ultimate takeaway is like, hey, just, you know, do the worst, like don't care about any of this, but also know the limits of what your contributions are, because what really matters is true systemic change. And I hope like listening to this and um, reading more about what's happening, uh, we can inspire more people to like push for big change because we have to change industries. We have to change like government policy. Uh, we have to change big things to save this planet. And uh, minor spoiler, I think that's actually a good thing. Because imagine, imagine if our actual, like, the thing we had to accomplish was changing the minds of billions of people individually on Earth. That would be impossible. I, I, I cannot imagine how we do it. But uh, maybe trying to connect uh, to the major influencers and the people who are polluting the most and trying to frame them in, that seems at least uh, vaguely more doable. So, yeah, check out this episode. It's a good show in general. Subscribe to How to Save a Planet. Those are our weekly plugs for this week. Breaking news. Breaking news. This important PSA is being brought to you by Manscaped.com. Yes, this is your pubic service announcement and the news we've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 TM trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. This new trimmer was released only moments ago, and we are one of the first to get our hands on it and share the news. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free shipping with the code FILMCAST at Manscaped.com. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I'm blown away by the performance, the craftsmanship, the details on the 4.0 are next level. Their advanced ceramic blade and skin safety and technology is so good that it almost seems as if Manscaped TM worked with Elon Musk's engineers to ensure your testes are as safe as possible. (sighs) Now let me tell you a story. The story of attempting male grooming without Manscaped. A story of blood and irritation. A story of pain and discomfort. No. 
You don't want to hear this story. You want to hear what makes this trimmer different from all the other trimmers. A new multifunction on and off switch can engage a travel lock created for people who like to travel. The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for more precise shaves. The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all over through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. And looks wise, ooh, it's sleek with a two-tone matte and gloss finish that even features a hot foil stamped black chrome manscaped logo. Show that mower off loud and proud. The optimized lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is waterproof so you can groom in the shower and not have to worry about making a mess in the bathroom floor. Did I mention the wireless charging? The lawnmower TM 4.0's new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction which can help battery length last longer. If you're still trimming your face with your ball trimmer, it's time to make some changes. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code FILMCAST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code FILMCAST. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the right job with Manscaped TM. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Let's get to our review of The Green Knight. Friends. Brothers and sisters. Who can regale me and my queen with some myth? Or tale? Oh, greatest of kings, let one of your knights try to land a blow against me. Indulge me in this game. I will need thee. That was from the trailer for The Green Knight, the newest film by writer-director David Lowry. I'm going to read the plot summary for The Green Knight on IMDb, a fantasy retelling of the medieval story of Sir Gawain and The Green Knight. Joining us today for our review of The Green Knight on the Filmcast, she is features editor over at ScreenRant.com. Alicia Grasso, welcome to the Filmcast. How are you doing this evening, Alicia? Thank you so much for having me. I am very excited to talk about this movie because, as you two have seen, I have been nerding out about it for <laughs> quite some time Love it. on Twitter. Yeah. Well, really happy to have you on to discuss it. I, I think no discussion of this movie can be complete without some kind of debate about how to pronounce Sir Gawain. <laughs> because uh, it, it's it's... It looks like it's Sir Gawain on the page, yes. But it's pronounced different ways, even in the movie. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I, I, yeah. Sean no, Harris Sean just Harris like made that up. No, yeah. Like Sean Harris is Sir Garwin, is how he yeah. pronounces it yeah. in the movie, right? I <laughs> spent the entire movie because I say Gawain usually, uh-huh. but it, mm-hmm. you could, but it can also be uh, pronounced Gawain as you say it. Yes. Um, those are the two ways you see it. And I studied this in school. Like one of, I mean, I have a background in a master's in English lit. And one of the areas I studied was Arthurian legend. And I spent the entire time or the the first act being gaslit because I was like, is that an ancient, like, is that a middle English, like an old Welsh? I was like, is that an old Welsh or like middle English pronunciation Mm -hmm. that I don't know? Like, is is there a small group of scholars that thinks it's pronounced like that? Like, 
I was, and then I read an interview <laughs> with David Lowry later, and and uh, it was Joe Robinson, uh, and mm-hmm. she interviewed him, and she was like, "What was up with his pronunciation? Like, how do you pronounce?" And he's like, "Yeah, he just started doing it," and I was just like, "Okay," and just went with it. I was like, "Oh, okay, thank God." If, if you're Sean Harris, you can just like make up new ways. You can to just say show things. up and it's say fun. whatever you want, and yeah. David Lowry is going to be like, "Well, he must have done some research into it." Yes. Um, but yes, he he pronounces Sir Garwin. I'm going to say Sir Gawain because I just can't shake that. Yeah. And I think people will have their own draw their own conclusions about how, how they're going to pronounce it. Um, uh, Alicia, what's your, what's your preferred pronunciation? I say Gawain. All right. So, All right. Yeah. Is it, I like when that. I say Sir Gawain, like is that. it nails on a chalkboard for you or is it going to be okay? <laughs> no, no, I either way, because both are really, I mean, you, you see scholars and, you know, historians will use both. Again, it was really just Sean Harris throwing that random <laughs> R in there that just really <laughs> messed me up. So that was, uh, that was, that, that threw me for a loop. So, Alicia Grasso, this is a movie you've been talking about online a lot recently. Tell us your overall thoughts about The Green Knight. I really loved it. Um, I thought David Lowry, because, you know, he also did the script as well. um, He, I thought, did a very good job in um, excising certain things and changing certain things to kind of modernize it and make it a little bit more relatable to modern audience. But while also um, keeping the core like and the fundamental spirit of the movie or of the original poem intact because it's a really beautiful poem, but there are a lot of layers to it. There's a lot of different ways you can read it. There's a lot of symbolism. And it's also, I mean, it was written in the late 14th century when, you know, writing conventions were very, very different. And so... Um, there's like an entire extended hunt sequence that he cuts out, I think, smartly and a few other things he changes. But uh, but I think he did a really it's it's a really it's a it's a really strong adaptation in that it's really hard to adapt something to screen, in, you know, to begin with, let alone a poem that's, you know, a thousand years old or 700 years old. Mm-hmm. And he just was really smart, I think, about what he kept, what he cut and what he changed. Well, I want to talk more about those things, perhaps in spoilers for this film, like in terms of what changed from the poem. But um, in the short term, I'm wondering, uh, what were the core ideas from the poem that you think made it into the film and that were communicated effectively in the film? Um, I mean, the two main, you know, kind of fundamental tent poles, I think, of the um, of the original poem are the the push pull dynamic between Christianity, like ordered Christianity, and uh, wild paganism. And you see a lot of that, you know, the natural world versus the man-made world, ordered versus disordered, the known versus the unknown. And um, you see a lot of that in the film uh, when there's a lot of fog and a lot of mist in this film. And every time you see that, it's when Gawain is stepping between worlds. And I thought that that was done really well. Um, I also thought it was done really well. It was handled um, just the idea of a, of a young man trying to go on this journey of self-discovery and figure out what kind of man he is. Um, he's very different in the poem. Very, very different. And I kind of understand why David Lowry um, changed him. But that core aspect of you know a, a young man trying to prove himself and find himself, that remain the same as well. Um, so I think those two kind of fundamental tent poles from the original poem, those still remained intact. 
um, and I in a way that I thought was just really really well done and very cleverly executed. And of course, brought vividly to life by Dev Patel, who plays the lead, and who I think is great in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I think he he really. Mm-hmm. Nails this version of that character, which, as you've indicated, is is different than the poem. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I interviewed him uh, a couple weeks ago for this movie, and uh, I and I asked him that. I said, you know, this version is very different than the poem, and he was like, you know, when I first read for the script, like in our early days of shooting, he's like, I went to David and said, hey, how do we, how do we like this, make this guy more likable? because he's just not very likable right now. He's kind of just this entitled guy born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And he just, um, you know, so they actually had to work at that because um, I guess he was kind of even less likable to start with, <laughs> which I, thought, I was like, Ooh, that is, that is bold. Uh, that is, that's like taking Spider-Man and Spider-Man being like, screw responsibility. Like that's yeah. <laughs> like, they made some bold choices. Um, but I also think it's a testament to how good Dev Patel is that behind that kind of, um, you know, kind of flippant, like entitled, um, kind of wastrel, you know, um, you could see the vulnerability. You could see the desire to, to be a good man, a great man, and the fear that maybe he's not, maybe he's just not capable of reaching those heights. Um, that's really hard to do. Like that's mm-hmm. really hard to pull off and find that that subtle nuance and balance in in a performance. And I thought Dev Patel did it wonderfully. Yeah. There's a lot of insecurity in his performance, which I think is fantastic. Here, it really made this film for me. So, Devendra, share some of your thoughts on the Green Knight. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not an Arthurian legend scholar like Alicia, but I love this movie. I, you know, I, I almost like I think since the first time I've seen a David Lowery movie and I forget which was the first one it was probably Ain't the Body Saints when that came out. I always felt like this guy had an epic in him, you know, and th- this movie just astounded me. Um, visually, it is stunning. It's it's one of those movies. I saw it over a week ago with my uh, with my brother and I cannot get it out of my head because I feel like every scene is just so painstakingly constructed and looks so lush. Like it's a movie that does a lot with uh, not a huge budget from what I recall, but I-, I get a sense that Lowry just knows what he's trying to do and the story he's trying to tell here. I think that Patel's fantastic. It is a wonderful exploration of masculinity um, at that time, but it's also really resonant today. You know, I- I've seen a lot of reviews call him basically an Arthurian fuckboy. boy. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Much, he's just he wakes up in a brothel. He doesn't know how to commit his lady who's really he seems really cool. He, he's just trying to commit to him. And he's like, uh, I'm going to go over here now. Um, Yeah, it, this entire movie is about him trying to learn to be responsible and not just be a hero, but, you know, grow up. And I do think that resonates with a lot of people. Uh, I think that from that Joanna Robinson review uh, interview. It sounded like David Lowry really uh, resonated with that idea, too, of uh, not knowing how to start, you know, not knowing how to, like, get out of the house and grow up and make yourself, you know, figure out who you are as a man, I guess. Like, this movie just feels like it is exploring so many things in really fascinating ways. Um, I'm not surprised uh, audiences are really divisive towards it. Like, this is a slow burn thing. That is not made for everybody, but it's certainly made for me. And yeah, another another film that proves like Dev Patel, I think, is one of the greatest actors we have working today. Um, I, I love him. I love him. And he he's fantastic here. Everybody's very good, too. So 
even Sean Harris too is like, I love his Arthur. His Arthur is just this like, yeah, I was a hero once, you know, like I have seen so much, but he is just tired of it all. I love that sense of like the legends dying in this movie and not knowing uh, Gawain being the like new generation doesn't know how to like live up to that in a way that resonates quite a bit in so many different ways. So I love this movie. That said, not all of us have a magical mother that's willing to orchestrate a whole, you know, <laughs> extravagant quest. Oh man, we will. To get us out th- of there's the house. a lot to get into. In yeah. spoilers yeah. There also love Sarita Chowdhury, who is wonderful in everything, but fantastic to see her in yeah. a movie like this. I, I like that about Arthur being older as well, because we yeah. don't often see that. We always see Arthur at the height of his, we either see very early Arthur when he's pulling the sword out of the stone and doesn't know what he's doing, or we see, you know, kind of uh, at his peak and, you know, right yeah. at his stride, Arthur, who's, you know, leading Camelot and the Knights of the Round Table. We don't really ever, ever see an older Arthur. I think the only time we've seen like an older actor play Arthur was, what uh first night with sean yeah. connery and also like excalibur does it but with the younger actor yeah. playing old you know exactly yeah. and and so i thought this was a really it, it, it also lent a sense of urgency then to gawain's quest mm-hmm. because he's technically the closest thing to an heir and yeah you know kind of looking around going oh man yeah he, that's that we do not have a lot of prospects for the throne so this is like the yeah. beginning of the sopranos too of tony soprano <laughs> yeah. just feeling yeah. like you know all the legends have, have happened like what what does he have left nothing <laughs> you know it's no, a great it's a great reference um yeah I'll, I'll share some thoughts on it and then uh, i'd love for us to get to spoilers dive into the movie a little bit more i I also really love the movie. Let me just start by saying that. Love the movie. I, I thought it was an incredible movie-going experience. As I mentioned a few times, this is probably going to be the last movie I see in theaters for yeah. at least a couple months. You I'm know, like, so grateful we got to see this in theaters because, yeah. man, yeah, you needed but that. Same. I'm yeah. probably not going to go see... Like The thing that's really breaking my heart is Shang-Chi coming out in September. Yeah. Like, I don't think yeah. I'm going to see that in, in theaters, unfortunately, um, which means I probably won't see it until October. Uh, which is really sad, but uh, yeah, the Green Knight, in- incredible cinematic experience, and I think you know you got you have both touched on this, but it is the the cinematography is incredible. Every shot feels incredibly meticulous and deliberate, mm-hmm. and done in such a way as to make you reflect on the composition, right? And and it's slow too, right? Like it, you shots last for you know. 30 60 seconds and just like you're just yeah. sitting there a looking long at a s- horse ride down the road you know? right or a you slow dolly or something you know some kind of t- uh, slow pan or tilt or something like that and uh it's it's meant to make you kind of luxuriate in the atmosphere that this movie is trying to create and it reminded me a lot of like the Katsi movies like koyanis Katsi and those mm-hmm. kinds of movies like just like showing you uh, nature and mankind and the interaction between them and just letting you see it play out in a very long extended sequence. Um, that's what those movies felt like to me. And that's what this movie feel like, feels like to me, even though it is based off of this medieval mm-hmm. poem slash adventure. I got, I got a lot I, of like under the skin here mm, too, yeah, no, which yeah, is just great. like that sense of discovering yourself. This movie, uh, yeah, is loaded with that. Great reference. And, uh, and I'd say like Andrew Droz Palermo or Palermo, he, did a really good job of letting a, just a lot of the natural landscape do a lot mm-hmm. of the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes cinematographers try to do too much. And he had a really good sense of when to s- step back and just be like, I'm just going to let the mountains, like the the landscape do 
the heavy work, you know, the lifting for me. And and that in the, of itself is a really astute eye, I think. Yeah. Um, we yeah, we had really a, good an job. argument last week on the film cast, uh, me and Jeff Kanata. I, I, I mentioned Jungle Cruise as a comparison. Uh, that movie cost, I think, $180 million. And this one cost $15 million. And this one looks way, way better, in my opinion. I mean, at, <laughs> at no point do I believe that I'm on a boat heading down a river in Jungle Cruise. Right. Um, but this movie is just immersive. And Jeff was saying, that's a terrible comparison. Those movies are very different. It's apples and oranges. But I stand by the comparison, folks. Um, I, the, the movie <laughs> but looks do you incredible. believe you're on a boat in Disney <laughs> World heading down a fake mm. river? Because mm. if so... Mission accomplished. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Uh, maybe, maybe so. Uh, if only that was actually the plot of that movie. But yeah, I uh, I thought this movie is beautiful. I agree with you about the performances. They're all great. Uh, you also, of course, have uh, the uh, required, as as per decree of A24, Kate Dickey and Ralph Ineson. Uh, you got to have those people in any A24 movie. But uh, yeah, th- there's a lot here to love. At the same time, as I really like this movie. I agree with you that the fact that it is divisive and polarizing is extremely understandable. And Mm -hmm. I found the movie quite frustrating at times because I felt like he just didn't give you enough to go on. I think this movie, like the other movies that we've reviewed today, kind of depends on metatextual (laughs) knowledge of the bigger story, in my opinion, to get mm-hmm. the most out of it. I, I would say and, less than the others is the thing. But yeah, yeah, I see mm-hmm. what you're saying. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think just the the way in which the journey is set up and in which the encounters are set up and, in, and how they play out. First of all, you know, I, I, I'm going to try to be as vague as possible, but very often you as the viewer don't even know what you're looking at. Like mm-hmm. you don't know mm-hmm. if what is in the film is like real in the universe of the film or not. Um, and then kind of the, the moral slash or morals that the movie's trying to teach you, I think are a little bit opaque. Uh, if you, you know, are, are at, at first, at first blush, in my opinion. Now, some people mm-hmm. watch it and they're like, Oh no, no yeah. I, I got everything. And if that's yeah. you, great. I, like, yeah, I'm happy for you. A, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's a very ambiguous movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it even deliberately not naming any of the characters other than Gawain, Essel, and uh, Winifred. But like all yeah. the other, like Arthur's never called Arthur. Mm-hmm. Guinevere's never called Guinevere. Morgan Le Fay's never called Morgan Le Fay. So um, I think even that, if you had named them, people would be like, oh, okay, I'm on board. But I didn't know until it's, after it's I saw the movie. It's very ambiguous. I didn't know until yeah. after I saw the movie that Merlin was in the movie. You know, like yeah, yeah, he, Merlin the, is a character, and yeah. and now and now that you point him out, I'm like, oh yeah, that guy. Tattoo. Yeah, it's like of course the one that looks exactly the, like he's Merlin. the guy that looks like you think Merlin would look, but like they don't yeah. name him. But I, and I, I think like other than the naming, like figuring out what this movie's trying to do, right? Yes. What it's trying to say about the characters, the story it's trying to tell, and the ultimate like lesson at the end. To me, the movie gives you all of those like tools to figure out what is mm-hmm. happening. It may be it may be certainly opaque. It may be like hard to parse at times, but it feels a lot like 2001 to me, right? It feels mm, like it yeah. is there to inspire your curiosity rather than to pull the M. Night Shyamalan end of old thing of just like literally telling you everything mm-hmm. because you can't trust you. Yeah, you know? I, I, I think uh, that's, again, you're, you're bringing up great comparisons left and right, and 2001 is another great, uh, another great comparison. This is a movie that demands 
work from mm-hmm. like it, it's not a movie that is a passive viewing experience you must engage with the movie and there are many ambiguities with the film that yeah. force you to have your own interpretation what does that come rag mean okay or to be okay with not having an interpretation right like, exactly. I, I mean yeah. Yeah. yeah and i said this i was in another podcast it was cinemaholics b- before i came out and i said exactly that i said if there's one thing that i think will harm the movie it's that I can see general audiences going in expecting a typical like King Arthur, like swords and shields, medieval mm-hmm. battle, clashy, clashy movie. And it's not that movie. This is a very meditative, internal man versus nature versus himself hero's journey. It is not uh, the typical story that you're thinking of. And um, and I've heard that from some people that like it's so slow or it's so like I don't understand what was happening here. I'm like, that's kind of the point. Like it, you have to work at it a little bit like you have to work internally the same way that Gawain did you know yeah I had the same experience honestly Alicia which is I was I kind of was expecting at you know I I didn't watch any trailers for this but at one end I was expecting oh kind of a sword and sandals you know medieval adventure knight goes on these great adventures like that's that's at one end of what I was expecting other end of what I was expecting uh, on the opposite end was like Something more contemplative, like uh, Robert Redford, All is Lost type of deal, right? If you've seen mm-hmm. that movie. And I feel like this movie didn't even deliver the clarity of that movie, right? Like, that All is Lost, I think, is like a, a completely comprehensible linear story that this movie does not deliver on. Uh, and, and so I'm not saying that that's bad. I just feel like people's expectations should be set correctly that this movie does not lay it all out for you. Yeah. You need to work at it. Uh, and like probably me, you may need to spend you know a couple hours reading about it afterwards to understand truly everything that was happening. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, with all that said, uh, why don't we get into spoilers? Let's get to spoilers for The Green Knight starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, let's talk about spoilers. So we can, yeah. We're going to spoil everything in The Green Knight uh, and all the other movies that we talked about today. Uh, so wh- why don't we talk a little bit i think as an entry point into this about the little quests that he goes or the little like encounters that he has right Mm -hmm. because i think basically uh the encounters are the core of what's going on in this movie and the lessons that he learned actually you know even before the encounters you guys already hinted that uh his mom is behind what is happening in the movie like Mm -hmm. the the movie strongly hints Although I didn't figure this out until after I saw the movie and read about it, right? That uh, Gawain's mom, who is Morgan Le Fay in this movie, although she's not like Morgan Le Fay is not Gawain's mom in other renditions of the Arthurian legend, mm-hmm. right? Um, but in it's this version else. of the movie, Morgan Le Fay's mom, and like it's the movie strongly hints that she is responsible for the events of the film, right? Is that a yes? Is that a good yeah. interpretation? Like she's she is, trying to teach him a lesson, right? She is in the poem too, although her her motivations in the poem are way more petty right right yeah <laughs> she's just a mom who wants the best for her son yeah like, and i, and <laughs> I thought all. that That's was all it is. no but i mean i thought that was smart because it actually yeah. gives it a reason because in the poem literally the reason she does this is because she's mad at 
Guinevere, <laughs> and she wants to frighten Guinevere to death and piss off her brother, her mm. half brother. When, when is she not mad at Guinevere? Yeah. Like, yeah. So I mean, it's very much like yeah, I can kind of see how that like just petty for the sake of being petty, like woman versus woman isn't going to fly into 2021 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so yeah like smart. okay good call david lowry smart and also like the the whole setup too like we we see the scenes of her casting some sort of spell mm-hmm. you know before the green knight appears but also the gift to Dev, the gift to go in is basically here's an invincibility belt okay <laughs> i figured out this puzzle just keep this belt on you'll be cool and you'll be you'll be free and you'll be a hero you know, but like that's it, part of the yeah. test. Yes. But the belt is also yes. part of the test too. So, like, like on one hand, terrible mother. <laughs> on the other hand, it worked. It worked. So, like, you know, gonna push she, that baby out of the nest. He lives with her. So, he lives with his mom. Okay. Yeah. Well, he <laughs> yeah. also lives kind of in the brothel. Let's be honest. He spends half <laughs> time in the brothel. <laughs> so you know. So okay, and I'm just gonna confess to you guys that when I'm watching the movie, you know, the the Green Knight shows up, although. The the original poem is called Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Mm-hmm. This movie yes. is just called The Green Knight, so it leaves open the ambiguity and interpretation that it's Dev Patel that's the Green Knight, right? And I, I, I like that there's that ambiguity. It's the first of many ambiguities in the movie. Um, but in mm-hmm. this movie, because the Green he's Knight, very green. He's a green. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Forest, the forest guy shows up, whatever you want to call the forest guy, <laughs> Green Knight. I call him Green Knight. Okay. He shows up and he's like, you know, deliver a blow to my body. And then in a year hence, you travel to the Green Chapel and I deliver the same blow to your body. Mm-hmm. My reaction at that moment is yeah. just give him a little nick on the and ankle. A little nick. A just l- give a little him a little something. Just yeah. give him a little cut, a little paper cut there on the ankle. Yeah. Um, but apparently, like, <laughs> I, I, so the whole movie, I'm like, this is completely self-inflicted. This is like, yes, yes. you know, Hamilton and his son in the <laughs> musical. Like, yeah. why are they dueling these people? Like, it's completely unnecessary. Um, but that's just that's just my 21st century way of thinking, man. You know, like... I mean, it's, um, it's totally... I think it's totally valid. Like, how, how does a guy stoops and gives you his head and you cut his head off? How does that make you heroic? You know, like... There, it's weird. It's weird to me. There's nothing but, about that that seems strong other but than... When you're, yeah. But when you're, like, a 20-something kid that's trying to prove yourself and that you're, you know, a big... No, yeah. you can be a big yeah. night of the round table. But I love how when he does it, he looks in Arthur and Guinevere, both mm-hmm. look at him like, you idiot. What did you do? Like, <laughs> Did you not read the rules? Yeah, like you weren't supposed to do that. And then he's like, I don't know, you know, and they're just looking at him like, oh, God, like. <laughs> um, I, I like uh, Demi Adojuibwe's uh, uh, review at Letterboxd where he basically says this is like before uh the people understood what games were right mm-hmm. so like this was their version of a game is like you give yeah. me a thing and i'll give you the same thing a year from now that's like their game basically uh which i was like oh maybe may- yeah like maybe like they just didn't i, I just don't know what the, no this version of the game is go so ahead Alicia. it's yes but no like it's all about i mean think about it. it's all about reputation renowned being mm-hmm. legend back then being honorable and so Back then, the chivalric code, you know, the knightly ideal, you don't back down from a fight. You're always brave. You're bold. You're courageous. You're courteous. Um, mm. You're compassionate. You you do not step back from a challenge. And so it's in some ways kind of toxic masculinity. Yes. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Chivalry a, was toxic masculinity. But, I mean- <laughs> but, but they also were very, you know, they respected women in, and in, in their own medieval way. And, mm-hmm. and there were other things that were very, very good about the mm-hmm. chivalric code. Um, but, you know, back then, well, in the poem too, it was also, you know, you can have my 
this amazing acts and basically like have like bragging rights for a year. And right. so if you think about a knight, a young knight that has no uh, quest to his name, has mm-hmm. no great stories to tell, has no tales of renown, being able to say you beheaded the knight or you bested him in battle mm-hmm. um, because that's what he thought was going to happen. And then being able to carry around his, you know, acts and tell the story of these great tales, like that's kind of what sets you up for life. It's like, you know, the modern or the medieval equivalent of like, landing one great deal and then that sets up your career yeah. you know well, one viral post baby exactly, and you become exactly. a huge influencer yeah that's basically he wants yeah. to be an influencer he wants to be middle <laughs> influencer yeah yeah okay so f- fair enough alicia uh, pr- that context is really uh useful and context i did not have when i saw the movie so sure. then he goes on the quest right and he has three main encounters right yeah. First, he encounters Barry Keegan, who is incredible in every movie I've seen him in. <laughs> never uh, trust Barry Keegan. Never trust never, one. <laughs> never not creepy. There's yeah. always and like he's gonna be in Eternals, and I'm like, oh, you know, like you know, this dude's about to do something to screw everybody else over. Yeah. Like yeah, you just totally. know it. So my understand. So Barry Keegan gives him some help, and my understanding is that, like, which again developed after I did some research in the movie, is that like he. Uh, Dev Patel was insufficiently grateful to his assistants. Is that mm-hmm. yes. kind of the take? Like he just he thanks him, but he doesn't give him any money or any compensation. I also don't know if that would have mattered, but yeah, yeah. Even if yeah. he did. is that kind of because he's supposed to learn a lesson from each one of these encounters, is my sense, right? Well, I read that one as um not that he wasn't sufficiently grateful. I mean, that could have been absolutely, but I kind of also read it more as just showing how wildly unprepared yeah. Gawain is for mm-hmm. like life outside of his pampered incredibly existence and camelot you know like like dude this man is abandoned like how do you not (laughs) you're surrounded by dead bodies he's looting the dead bodies yeah Yeah. which was also a really interesting scene too because arthur is so kind and compassionate but then there's just this wasteland of bodies and Mm -hmm. so that's also arthur and so again it's that duality that comes back into play over and over again in the movie but yeah otherwise it's like how how do you not get that this man is lying to you (laughs) so there, you know, the, the, it leads me to another side tangent about the movie, which is like, I feel like Ga- uh, Gawain or Gawain doesn't really suffer much for his um, inconsiderate or naive behavior. You know, like, for instance, he uh, naively allows himself to be subjugated by this brigand and then brigand. he gets his he gets mm-hmm. all his stuff taken from him. But then like later on, it just appears. Right. I guess I mean, he, he easily could have died there. You right. know, yeah, like, there's, yeah. That, there's that shot where it pans around uh, and you see like his body decompose. Like a lot of people have interpreted that as a vision of what might like his own mm-hmm. vision of what might happen to himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys had a different interpretation, but like that's that seems very plausible to me. And then and then he goes and uh, uh, finds that woman's head. Right. Um, yeah. Winifred. Winifred's head. Uh, now, she was not in the original poem at all, is my understanding. No, um, this is kind of an added one, but she's and, based on a real life figure. Mm. Yeah, 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 right, right. And my understanding of this encounter, like what I took from this encounter, and Alicia, uh, I think you're doing a good job of correcting me when I when I go off track here. <laughs> no, like I don't is, think you're I don't think you're wrong at all. I think there's just all these different interpretations. Right, yeah, there's, so there's yeah. lots of legitimate interpretations. So, but the idea is that like he messes up because first of all he like tries to touch her, right? Like he's like 
are you real? And then she's like, you're, you're not supposed to touch me. And then, mm-hmm. uh, and then says like, if I do this thing, like, what am I going to get in return? Which right. Is also I mean, that's very a big mistake. Right. Yeah. Like, Man, yeah. 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 Go, not, go ahead, very, not, very, yeah. not very chivalrous. Mm. I love her response to like, why would you ask me that? Why would you ever ask me that? Mm. I love it. I love it mm. so much. Yeah. So then he like goes and in, in a kind of trippy sequence goes to get the head anyway and does it without expecting anything in return and then in like in return he gets the axe I think like the axe is there in the morning right and, uh, mm-hmm. is the belt is that when no the belt comes later right so that's, no the, be- yeah. the so, belt purposely right. comes later yes. yes yeah so then he goes <laughs> to the. Uh, lady and lord's house before before we yeah. like go down go all the quests you like i do want to say like his initial just leaving the castle right leaving that area that long walk down incredible i shot. do love it's yeah. it's just bleak it's just like well i'm, I'm it's <laughs> like it's like uh you know arrest development i'm, I'm going to war now um <laughs> yeah. they're like just, all right bye bye it's time um, for a dev then, to head off to army and also and, that small <laughs> the mo- the small puppet show where like in the yes. beginning it was him killing the green knight and then as the year drew on uh then it turned to the green knight beheading him which i thought was <laughs> dark but also hilarious like mm-hmm. imagine your god when you're walking past you see all these children cheering that your puppet's getting beheaded now because they think that's what's going to happen and so like that just uh that that really makes me yeah make so laugh. so easily the media and the public can turn on you you know like it's just just at the flip of a hat what is it what is that line from uh spider-man <laughs> what the people the city they loved you for a time but what they uh-huh. want to see you know more than that or whatever is a hero fail fall die trying absolutely, absolutely i love how bleak the outside of the castle is basically like it's just yeah. it's nothing it's a wasteland. Like, well, I guess I'm gonna go through this hellscape and maybe somehow have have a hero's journey of some kind. But it's a, uh, I I think that shot is just so purposefully long and mm-hmm. stays on you know the roads. Just like, well, there's kind of nothing here. I do like there's a I believe there's a nod to Willow there. You know, with the the skeleton yeah. in the cage, mm. which is I distinctly remember that even before I started reading like all the deconstructions of this movie, I love how this movie calls back to things like Willow and Excalibur and mm-hmm. you know the things we all grew up with. Uh, you could really feel that. But yeah, go ahead, yeah. Dave, with the quest. Oh yeah, no, no worries. Um, mm-hmm. So then he uh, arrives at the Lord and Lady, who's played by Joel Edgerton, and then uh, Alicia Vikander, which like. I, I mm-hmm. read afterwards that some people didn't realize that that was the same actress in I, both I did roles. Not realize which, it. Yeah. which, how? Yeah, <laughs> I thought. Yeah, I, I, thought, I, mean, I knew listen, immediately what he was, he was doing. I, I yeah. have a very hard time telling a lot of uh, faces that look similar to Alicia Vikander <laughs> apart, and there are a lot of them. There are so many of them. It's a fair point. It's and they do a lot to change her appearance. Yeah, um, I think the reason you know my interpretation of the reason why she's played by the same actress in both parts is like kind of as a commentary on the idea of like the same person physically mm-hmm. in different circumstances and with different yeah. accoutrements, right? Like could be perceived yeah. very, very differently. Yeah. Even that though that shows his like shallowness basically mm-hmm. of like, Oh, I, I am interested in this lady. Like she <laughs> well, could make a wife, right? It's well, the thing is, I think it's that he truly does care for Essel, but he knows he can't be with her. She's mm-hmm. a peasant. He's no, he's, mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about like the idealism of Arthurian legend, right? But he's still a nobleman. She's mm-hmm. still a peasant. They can never be together no matter how he feels about her. And so that's like the ultimate temptation, right? That if you take the same woman and, you know, the woman he loves, but then you put her in a class, you know, or a status that, he is able to be with that is a realistic partnership like that's mm-hmm. the ultimate temptation and so yeah i think you're exactly right yeah. there and that if and it's al- yeah 
the lady is a step up too. Like he he yeah. lives in the castle, but he still lives with his mom. He does not appear to be a very rich <laughs> kid, you know? He lives, he lives in his mom's basement. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Uh well, speaking of people who live with their mom, these people. Um and there's a lot of there's some speculation that the old woman with the bandages all over her is Morgan Le Fay, mm-hmm. aka Gawain's mom, which makes the, you know, sticky situation really uh, St- really sticky really sticky yeah. weird yeah. It, it she is in the poem yeah 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 so yeah anyway uh <laughs> they, they make some agreement that like hey uh i'm i'm gonna go out and hunt for you and i'll give you whatever i find of the hunt if you give me whatever mm-hmm. comes to you yeah. and so uh, an- another another deal that he should probably think a little harder <laughs> about you know right like this seems suspiciously easy yeah <laughs> okay i'm gonna take it at face value like <laughs> Gawain, when has literally anything that you have encountered this quest been face value? Like, not one thing that you have come across has been exactly what it seems mm-hmm. on the surface. So apparently in the poem, uh, the the lady, like, makes out with him a bunch while he, like, fights her off. And then, like, on a daily, like, he's, like, giving the Lord kisses on, like, a daily basis, was my yeah. understanding in the poem, right? Yeah. Um, but in, in, the, uh, in the movie, it only happens one time. So you kind of get a sense of it. You know, the movie has a, despite a two hour plus runtime, it still has places to go. So I can't show you like 18 mm-hmm. instances of it or anything like that. But I think, again, this is my interpretation, um, eager to hear any of yours, is that like the thing he does wrong in this case is he does not honor that agreement, right? Like mm-hmm. he yeah. obtained, I guess, um, some lovin' from Alicia Vikander, and he also obtained that green sash mm-hmm. from her. And, and that, that lovin' is very important. Let's not. Let's not skip past that. <laughs> I'm not. Okay? Oh, I'm not. I'm not. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Devendra. But ahead. that eleven is certainly like this movie was working so much in uh, in symbolism, you know, and in like it, everything is kind of subtextual. But it is so it is so clear that that eleven is like, oh man, that is a that is a cum rag of shame, isn't it? Yep. That is just like all of your <laughs> insecurities, all of your inability, like your inability to be a man. You can't even like this lady is throwing herself at you and like. <laughs> can't even can't even do that um and then yeah it's all over the um you know the safety net that his mom gives him there there's so much in there yeah you just there's just a lot to unpack like that's a moment (laughs) where gawain like would have needed medieval therapy like let's talk about how you (laughs) yeah let's unpack this yeah morgan lefay is uh quite the helicopter mom I'd say yeah. I've encountered so many of those. Like when, when I used to work in it, like mm-hmm. I would often have to like fend off helicopter parents. Like I would have to like send them in another direction so I could talk to their kid to actually mm-hmm. help their kid understand things. Otherwise the parent would take over and do everything. So yeah, I, I totally get what's going on. When this I was very, the, yeah. uh, when I was a community college instructor, same thing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. your, your child is an adult legally. <laughs> like, yeah. why are you in my office right now? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, that- okay. Um, so, so he doesn't. Uh, he, he. I mean, I'll just say, in terms of shock value, uh, seeing a green sash full of Dev Patel's come was definitely like not something I anticipated <laughs> seeing. Literally at any point in my entire life. So it was having, just like a. Yeah. Uh, having known how that went, I did not expect that either. And for sure. it's like, that is a bold choice. So he flees and uh, kind of, you know, meets Joel Edgerton on the way out and passes on the kiss and, you know, uh, encounters this fox that's been keeping him coming. I mean, there's a few things that 
have happened along the way that we haven't talked about because I think if we impact every minute, it would take like a long time to yeah. to go through the entire movie. Like, the, the, the Giants were before Giants. this, right? Mm-hmm. Go, yeah. go ahead, Devinger. They were what? The Giants were before this, but that's another yes. another quest he failed. Giants, the foxes, yeah. and like you know, there's other things that I'm you know we could we could mm-hmm. talk more about. What but the, he he immediately is like, hey, can I can I just like hitch a ride on you? <laughs> like just really everything he does is just to serve himself, not mm-hmm. very nightly. Yeah. Well, it's interesting though because right, I think it was David, it was you that said a couple minutes ago that he doesn't really suffer any consequences mm-hmm. from like all of these things, but I think the thing that he carries with him in each and every case is shame because he knows that he screwed mm-hmm. up each and every time he's failing in this mm-hmm. nightly ideal. He failed this test. He was not the man he should have been. And so, um, so in the original poem, like Sir Gawain is ideal. Like he's, uh, you know, he's heroic, he's noble, he's pious, he's, you know, chivalrous, all that stuff. And his test is actually kind of learning um, that he needs to go a little easier on himself that no man Mm. You know, he's not God. Like God is the only perfect being. No man, no matter how good a knight they are, will ever be perfect. And so I think that's kind of the same thing that Gawain here is living up to is um, he's he's deeply flawed, but even deeply flawed men, people can learn how to be good, if even mm. great, if they grow up a little bit, you know, is, they take is- the right lessons from things. I'm wondering, is that how you're reading the opening shot too, which is in the trailer and is the very striking image of Dev Patel in the whole like nightly regalia, but it's also a very divine image with right? his, 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 uh, his head, his head, head getting fire. lit on fire. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. 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 And then the whole like sun halo and everything, mm-hmm. like that's such a medieval, you know, motif of, um, you see all the time in like medieval paintings behind religious icons and, and, you know, great Kings and things. So, um, I, I think it's that whole, you know, the potential is inside you the whole time. <laughs> uh, it's just whether or not he's he can bring it out. I think that, uh, first of all, excellent commentary. I think one of the things that was confusing to me is when she gets the sash uh, at the Lord and Lady's house, like... First of all, at that point in the movie, my brain is already completely fried. I'm like, I, I barely know what's happening. And then she, Joel Edgerton's she, here. They're talking yeah. about green. I don't know. Alicia Vikander has a meltdown about green. Well, that part was cool. I mean, at, at yeah. every in every David Lowry movie, I now expect someone to grind the movie to a halt and give a very articulate speech about the themes That's of the fair. film. Yes, yeah. uh, I just. I watched the ghost Fair. story the other night and I'm, I, I say this like kind of unironically. I actually enjoy it. I love like these little soliloquies, but yeah, she gives this very like beautiful speech about what it is to be green. And I, I like that. Um, but the, she produces the green sash and I have Deb Patel's reaction. Deb Patel's like the audience surrogate in that scene. He's like, wait, where did you get this? Like, how did you get this? You know? And the whole time I'm like, wait, is this the same green sash that he had that the Brit and like, are we going to find out they were in league together? And, the movie does nothing to explain any of this, right? Like, nope. I, I, what is your interpretation? Is, is it the same green sash? Like, is the brigand the figment of the imagination? Like, what is, what is, <laughs> what is going on in the, with the green sash appearing at this point in the, in the story? Gotta be honest, uh-huh. figuring out how the sash got from the scavenger to him again—that's when I went, nope, I, I don't, I don't care. It, I'm just <laughs> mm-hmm. going with it. I'm not going to try to figure it. out how it happened, like. Something, something, well, symbolism, I mean, even something, that formulation, something, magic. That, that mm-hmm. formulation, Alicia, presumes that it is the same green sash. Sure, sure. Um, maybe also, it's a like, different green sash. Listen, a good helicopter parent 
will have fail-safes for their idiot child. <laughs> True. She's so, just had stashes stashed yeah, all yeah, around, yeah, yeah. She's all got around a sash, the countryside of England. She's got a, sta- a sash compliment. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, okay, fair enough. Forget forget how it got there, but yeah, you, maybe you can understand a little bit of my confusion when that happened. For sure. Um, there, so there's a certain gets, amount of like letting go you have to yes, do in this that, movie, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, and Devendra, you know, you often encourage me to do this, and I actually achieved it Yay, in this movie. Great, you know? great. I was, uh, I was just like, you know what? I don't understand anything that's going on. I'm just going to let this movie wash over me. I had a great time. Uh, you know, like towards the end of the movie, like for the, for the first half, I was still trying to figure out, like I was right. trying to jam this movie into, you know, conventional three act structure, plot structure mm-hmm. medieval Arthurian legend movie that I have in my mind. And it didn't, it wasn't fitting very well, but um, anyway, this movie is like, I, I still distinctly remember this. I, it's when I lived in Dallas, it was years ago. It's when I was in grad school and I was, I used to bartend and serve all through grad school. And I was leaving one night at like two 30 in the morning and the whole street was almost like deserted. And coming down the street, this is one of the creepiest, strangest things I've ever experienced. I saw this man riding one of those like penny farthing bicycles with like the giant front wheel. Oh, horrifying. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. One of I'm those old tiny bicycles. In a top hat, uh-huh. just riding very slowly down the street. And I stood there with my key in my hand at my car, just watching him go down the street. And at that moment, I remember thinking, I will never have an explanation for this who this man is why he's here where he got the bicycle that you know we haven't seen since like a century ago like why he's wearing a top hat i won't know the answers to any of this but i just have to accept it happened and i kind of feel like that at times in this movie like i'm not going to know the answer to these things i just have to accept that they exist and i'm never going to know why that's like every ride in the new york subway by the way it's just like you know just accept reality yeah yeah so he gets to the green chapel and then he's like it's time Time for the guy to chop, chop my head off. And the Green Knight gets up. It's an incredible shot where he wakes up. And then I, I think actually my understanding is you see different faces inside the Green Knight's head. Mm-hmm. And, and then the final face. Yeah. 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 It flashes very subtly. And then the final face is Joel Edgerton's because in the poem, uh, Lord Bertilac, that's his whole, that's his name, uh, is the Green Knight. It's mm. The, mm. Morgan Le Fay basically like enchanted him to yeah. play this game. And he was like, haha, it was just a game. And Morgan was behind it. She just won, you know. <laughs> She's just joshing, and yeah. it's like, well, no. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so I, I read that. I didn't see it myself the first time, but I'm definitely going to catch it again once I buy this movie in 4K uh, Blu-ray, hopefully. And mm-hmm. uh, so then Green Knight comes out, and then he is about to get his head chopped off, and then we see him run away. Uh, it, it takes several times, too. Yes. Like, I like I like that buildup <laughs> to it of, like, yeah. Gawain almost like being noble sitting there waiting like okay I'm gonna do this thing and that's really his entire life right when push comes to shove he runs away or he takes Mm -hmm. the cowardly route and once again he does that yeah so he runs away and then this is the the sequence that many people think is heavily inspired by the last temptation of Christ Hmm. Uh, Hmm. uh, kind of a reverse last temptation of Christ Um, because in last temptation of Christ he, uh, is, you know, we've already talked about the spoilers for that movie, but basically uh, Jesus is given the opportunity to have a normal life, to to not be king, as it were. Mm-hmm. And he's like, mm, that, that seems pretty nice to me. Uh, and he needs to reject that temptation. In this movie, he is given the uh, w- the vision to, like, what, what life would be like if you became a king. And it's an incredible 
bravura sequence. It reminds, you know, not only Last Nation of Christ, it also reminded me of the Star Trek Next Generation episode Inner Light, if you've seen that movie, where Captain Picard <laughs> lives an entire lifetime within like a moment, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I, I thought this sequence is incredible. For sure. Also, mm-hmm. the, uh, the end of The Old Man and the Gun. Like, mm. Lowry does this thing where he can, like, give you a life, you know, yeah. in, in, in a, in a very short, short period of time. Right, yeah. Yeah. I'm also thinking of the standalone episode of The Magicians when mm-hmm. uh, Elliot and, uh, yeah, when they when they basically have a whole life together and grow old and die. And then it they go back to, like, real life and it's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So many, many kind of references or antecedents. But, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, my interpretation of this and people have different interpretations is that this is like Dev Patel's. I think the movie is indicating it's his vision of what's happening. It's not right, the right. actuality of what's mm-hmm. happening. Now, some people might say that's what actually happened. <laughs> and then, you know, he dreamed at the end about and going back and starting over again. Or the, the text of the movie. Yeah. Well, I, guess. Eh, yeah. You know, I mean, no, I mean, it's any number of interpretations. You can certainly read it that way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That, but, that is a reading. Yep. But yep. at the very end, like he becomes king and he kind of betrays Essel and it's like a terrible like, situation. And I think the, the it ends with him about to uh, be besieged by invaders when he removes the green sash and his head falls off uh, in a... You know what also? you know, Do you guys ever read that book, Scary Stories to Read in the Dark? Yeah. There was that story mm-hmm. of the, that... The velvet, it's the, yeah. the black ribbon. Yes, black ribbon. Yeah. Black, ribbon mm-hmm. uh, black ribbon woman. Anyway, head falls off and then it's like, oh, wow, that, that's a bad outcome. So I think, like... My interpretation is he's he's learning that in order to truly grow as a human, he needs to let go of like clinging to his life, which is what the green sash represents, and accept an, a more honorable path, and that that yeah. will lead to a better outcome for him. Is that is yeah. that roughly yeah. correct, you guys? I, yeah, yeah. I read it as he suddenly has a moment of insight and realizes that if he gains this if he goes back and gains his glory and his reputation through a deceit yes through cowardice it will he'll carry that guilt and that that self-loathing with him and it will make him bitter and hard and cruel and um and he realizes that if i don't do this the right way like this will eat at me forever and i will not be i will be the opposite of the man that i'm trying to be and so, and if it means my death, then it's better than living a life where I become this because this man is awful. So then there are the final words of the movie. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Just, yeah. And what is he, what, what are the final words? He says, um, now n- off with your head. Now off with your head, right? Like, yeah. or, or, or he says, well done, Sir Knight. Now off mm-hmm. with your head, I think. Yeah. And apparently, there was a version of this movie that ended with Dev Patel's head getting cut off. Like, this I'm is glad we did get Larry considered, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was. Didn't he say? I can't remember what interview it was. It might have been the same uh, Vanity Fair one with mm-hmm. Joe. But he said that he actually didn't really like this movie at first, and so he actually went back and like re-edited and recut it during the pandemic, and he yeah. liked it a yeah. lot better. And I was I'd like, love well, I'd be to really see that original in cut. Seeing, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I think it would be bleak as hell. <laughs> <laughs> and I th- I don't know if I'd like it, but I'd be very interested in seeing the difference between what happens when a director cuts his own movie when he mm-hmm. is like in a like different headspace versus when he comes back to it um, and he's in a much better headspace because yeah it was supposed to be yeah. way darker. It was it's almost like the actual ending of the movie too, right? Where he had this like he had this gap of time 
where he could actually rethink his situation and reshuffle things around to get the outcome he actually wants, you know, mm-hmm. rather than maybe the original one. So I, that's kind of fitting. So the, the big question is, what is your interpretation of what happens when he says now off with your head? Uh-huh. Does he actually cut <laughs> Dev Patel's head off after that? I think that's the only way this works. Yeah. Really? Yep. Because yep. I, I think I if, think he's joking. I think mm. he's joking because that would be completely sociopathic. <laughs> That he's like, ha 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 ha! Now off with your head. And then well, he it's, it's that joking also, in the poem too, right? But yeah. also, Morgan, Le, if if Morgan Le Fay is actually responsible, like she's not actually going to cut his head off, you know? Well, so, she might. She gave she him might. the sash. I mean, she <laughs> might. She might be like a mama gerbil that eats the weak, you know? Mm. Like, mm. I mean, it's Morgan Le Fay. Like, yeah. okay. Well, my my inter- I mean, and to be fair, I think this is the part of the movie that is most open to interpretation. Right? Yeah. Is like what happens afterwards. Uh, some people think. Yep, he cuts his head off. I think he's like, you pass the test, off with your head. Um, uh, which, by the way, you know, is, is is could be taken as an ambiguous statement, like mm. leave here. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, off, off with you, off with yeah. you. You know, go off, go away. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and I, I guess Alicia, I'm curious, like, what your interpretation of the ending is. Yeah, I think it was, I don't think he got his head off. Um, I think that it was more of a, a d- kind of double entendre like joke mm-hmm. um, in the sense of like, okay, now off with you. Um, but it could also be read, and this kind of just occurred to me, um, that it could be read in the sense that it's um, everything that's been going on in his head. Am I good enough? Am I a good enough mm-hmm. man? Can I do this? Oh. Uh, fears of death, fears of, of, of all of that. Off with you. Take that off. Take that burden off. Um, I like that. Your your old head, your old thoughts, your old whatever. Replace that crown them with, that with you have on your this. head. Yeah. Yes. Replace it with this. So, I think it was. Uh, I, I think it was. You know, symbolic. I think it was metaphorical. I don't think he literally meant like because that would also been a very odd way of doing it. Like, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. You passed the test. Now I'm kidding. Now I'm going to take your head off. Like that's yeah, just a weird it, way. Like just, just tonally. Odd. That's true. Tonally, that's true. Right? Because yeah. if he had said it differently, he's like, if he had said like, now off with your head. You know, like if he'd mm-hmm. said it like more seriously, but he said it in such a jokey fashion. You know, it yeah. felt. But yeah, I mean, I mean, literally, like here's the thing, Devendra. So much random shit had happened in this movie. Until this I'm, point, not, I'm, I'm not like, committed to anything. I'm like, here. literally, I'm just telling you what I. I'm just telling you, yeah, literally anything is possible. I'm just telling you my initial interpretation walking out of the movie. Mm-hmm. It does seem like the entire movie is about glory and reputation and actually, you know, going there and doing your nightly deed, right? Um, doing the thing he set out to do. To me, that would be the more reputation enhancing thing. Like Mm -hmm. that's very much the ending of the last temptation of Christ too, of like that. If you live, there's no point to your existence, right? And you're a legend in a way. uh, He chooses the the harder path in in the last temptation of Christ. And this one, you could imagine he chooses a harder path of going through with the bet, the game, whatever Mm -hmm. it's called. And then being remembered as, Hey, that's the guy that got his head cut off. Like yep. legend, right? But For all I, I, eternity. I think, I think you guys are right, though. That the, the Green Knight's tone, like he is—he's a joker. He's a nice guy. <laughs> I mean, he just wants to hang a, out. He's a silly goose. Well, well if you think games. about it, yeah. if you think about it, when his head gets cut off and he rides with the yeah. castle, he laughs. He's laughing hysterically because he knows it's going to be fun. It's going to yeah. be a game for him. And again, in the poem, it's like at the end, he—he—it's the same thing where he like like Goblin flinches. It, it's like three times mm-hmm. that he 
goes to cut his head off and Gawain flinches and he basically like trolls Gawain like I thought you're supposed to be a brave knight and Gawain gets mad and he's like fine screw you you know like let's do this and then he just gives him a little nick in the neck and he's like and that is for lying about the sash because in the poem you leave the sash on Ah. but then he says at the end he's like but you only kept it on out of love of life and like that's a very human fear like you're still the best of men oh bt doves i'm actually lord burdalak morgan you know uh enchanted me it was all a fun game she's mad at at guinevere ha 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 what a lark go back to camelot and so uh yeah it's a lot more lighthearted. like the poem is actually way more lighthearted than the movie at, at times um yeah so yeah so i was like man ha, yeah i was like oh that'd be real bold if he was like all that they went through and he's like nothing matters you're gonna get dead beheaded <laughs> anyway you know i haven't read the poem but from everything i've read about it because there's a lot of like uh you know comparisons to this movie it i don't quite know what he learned at the end of the poem right if he's still wearing the sash and if it ends up just being a joke like to me removing the sash is the point so it's yeah. so at the end of the poem, it's 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 basically to bring him down a peg or two a little okay. bit where okay. it's um, because, again, he has such high standards for himself and everyone around him. Uh, but at that time, he was in the poem. He's already a knight mm-hmm. and he's already considered, you know, and he's very not, honorable. He's very honorable. It's yeah, like it's yeah, like exactly. you, you put it in your Rotten Tomatoes piece like he's already Captain America at the beginning of the poem. Yeah, right? exactly. And so he had to uh, learn that he was fallible. He had to learn Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, there are going to be some flaws. Like you, you want to live. You do not want to die. That is not a flaw. Like that does not make you, you know, cowardly. It doesn't make you less of a knight. It just makes you a man. And that was kind of the lesson he learned in, Mm. in the poem. Uh, But again, it's, it's medieval. (laughs) And so it's, you know, medieval writers had a very different idea of how to end stories and how to, you know, structure things. So, um, It was a little different. Morality tales were a bit different. <laughs> so it sounds like uh, Liam Neeson in Excalibur as Gawain is is more the poem Gawain, basically. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. You know what's funny too? I totally forgot that in First Night, Joel Edgerton actually played Gawain. What? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. To me, yeah. When did that guy did not exist before the two thousands? To me, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, he's only been around what, like five years? Like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I have really appreciated going through this movie with you both. There's a post-credit um, scene that I missed, by the way. I'm just looking at Wikipedia. So yeah, yeah. I didn't see the post-credits either. I didn't see it, honestly. It's uh, not like a huge okay. scene. It's it's a little girl that's playing with the crown. So it it can be. I interpret it as like, oh, that's Gawain's daughter, which he didn't have daughters in the hmm. mythology, but whatever. He does in this movie. Um, are there any other things uh, that w- you want to discuss or or shall we wrap it up there? I think, you know, this has been a great overview. I, I think the thing we want to make clear, of course, is that we've shared our interpretations, but like the movie is so ambiguous in many ways. It's it's open to any in, number of interpretations. So like this is not mm-hmm. the definitive way to interpret the film by any means. Um, but yeah. Uh, also, if you like uh, Dev Patel on this, because I keep people yeah. keep telling me like, man, I've never seen Dev Patel play such like a, a, a heroic and like badass character in certain ways, or at least like what they got from the trailers. Um, watch the wedding guest, people. I, I've told you this before. Watch the wedding guest because he is uh, fantastic in that movie. That's Michael and Winterbottom's also film. The the personal. Uh, I mean, he's definitely not like a dashing yeah. knightly hero, but he's so good. In he's the good in the history of David Copperfield. Yes. Worth watching for sure. Yeah. I didn't love the movie itself, but I loved him in the movie. It's kind of a mess, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching it. Not, I don't want to rewatch it. I think, I think that's where I'm with yeah. that movie. Yeah. 
All right. Well, let's wrap up this week's episode of the Filmcast. And, you know, I do want to point out at the end of the day, regardless of anything <laughs> we've said, it's still pretty impressive that David Lowry made a movie. Yep. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. You can email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song for now comes from adamwarrock.bandcamp.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Alicia Grasso, I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Um, Alicia, uh, you have written a piece uh, about the Green Knight that we can find at RottenTomatoes.com. Where else can people find your work? Yes. Uh, you can also find me at Screen Rant. Um, I'm I, you know, features editor there, but I also do quite a bit of writing. And uh, actually, you can find me at Adam Tickets as well. I still do some writing for Adam Insider, too. And be sure to follow Alicia on Twitter. Uh, Alicia, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. This was a ton of fun. So I, I enjoyed this I enjoy correcting you both times. No. <laughs> we welcome, all do. Welcome to the yeah. appeal that, you know, Devendra and Jeff have for showing up every week. Um, next week, we're going to be reviewing The Suicide Squad. Uh, hopefully with Jeff Kanata. He's moving this week and we wish him well and we hope he'll be back next week on the podcast. We're looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for us this week on the Filmcast. We'll see you guys later. He watched the credits. It's done. He watched the credits.